Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Are you ready, darling? What? everyone and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. Hi, I'm Jordan Robinson. Welcome to the show. What we do here on this podcast every week is we recap and spoil every episode of Westworld. That doesn't mean we will spoil future episodes. Uh, and of course, this time we can't because the future episodes haven't even been made yet. So uh, this week on Decoding Westworld, we're going to be talking about the season three finale, Crisis Theory, Season 3, Episode 8. Uh, but before we get into any of that, John Robinson, let's run through a couple of announcements right up top at the beginning of the episode. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last week is the fact that we are going to be uh, starting a new podcast in about a month. It's going to debut in June. The podcast is called Truth versus Hollywood. And it is uh, available right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those other places. We'll put a link where you can subscribe in the show notes. And when I say available, I mean you can subscribe to it. The, the first episode is not there yet. Um, but this is a show uh, where we will review uh, and talk about some movies that have been based on true stories. And then talk about uh, how true the film rendered those events. And we'll talk with experts and people who are in, uh, like involved in the actual events themselves. And uh, it's going to be uh, pretty fun. Pretty fun. What do you think, Joanna? I'm excited. Do we have a trailer, David Chen? I think we do have a trailer. And if everything goes according to plan, you're going to hear that trailer starting right now. Have you ever been watching a movie that was based on a true story and wondered, well, how much of that is actually true? Like, did the CIA and Argo really expect them to escape on bicycles? Did Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas really have that much of a hair trigger? Did only five people carry out all the assassinations in Munich? I'm David Chen. And I'm Joanna Robinson. And we love movies. But we also like facts. And we talk about both of those things on Truth vs. Hollywood, a new podcast from Audioboom. We talk about films that were based on a true story and break down what really happened. But it's not just us reading Wikipedia. We'll hear from experts, journalists, and people who are really there to find out what Hollywood added in. Like Mark Zuckerberg's entire reason for creating Facebook and the social network. Or Ben Affleck's marriage problems in Argo. And what they left out. Like Mark Zuckerberg's entire wife in the social network. Or all the heist scenes in Goodfellas. Truth vs. Hollywood launches June 12th. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite shows. It's not just the real facts, Joanna Robinson. It's the real facts. That's R-E-E-L. Hi-oh! 
Boy, that was an awesome trailer, John. That makes me want to subscribe to the show. Uh, I even, just hit subscribe myself. Even so. though we didn't hear it just now as we're recording the podcast, <laughs> I'm sure at home it sounded awesome. So definitely check it out. It truth, it's Truth vs. Hollywood. It's the next podcast that Jonah and I will be working on together. And uh, yeah, uh, I will be looking forward to getting it out into the world and seeing what people's response is. Uh, also, you know, we talked last week a little bit about whether or not there's going to be a next season of Decoding Westworld. There definitely is going to be a next season of Westworld. Uh, and I think it remains to be seen. Uh, I, you know, it's an open question because it's probably going to be a couple years until the next season of Decoding Westworld. And so, uh, or until the next season of Westworld. And so, therefore, we'll need to decide at that point uh, whether we're going to do the podcast or not. And who knows what's going to happen, Joanna, between now and then? Who knows? Um, so life changes could have occurred, you know, uh, there might be a new president, a new world order, uh, society in fact might be crumbling at its very seams. Uh, it, it's entirely possible any number of outcomes will have occurred since then. So we can't guarantee, uh, whether or not there will be a new season of decoding Westworld, but we can tell people where they can find us in the meantime, between now and then Jonah Robinson, you're doing a few podcasts, right? Do you want to share with people where they can find your work? between now and whenever it is we do something again together? Uh, yeah, actually, a lot of my podcasts are winding down. Um, so uh, right now I'm doing Still Watching Mrs. America, which I really, I'm really excited about. We've got a lot of great guests this week. We've got Elizabeth Banks uh, to talk about that show. So uh, you can hear that over on the Still Watching feed for Vanity Fair. Um, I'm currently doing some rewatch uh, projects with Little Gold Men. So this week we're discussing uh, Amadeus. This is like my award season podcast, but since like all Hollywood news has slowed to a halt, we're, we're watching some like old Oscar movies. So we're, yeah. we're discussing Amadeus. Uh, this week... And I do a Lost Rewatch podcast called The Storm, and that's really fun. We, we're watching a new episode of Lost every week. We just started season three, so that's that's a really fun podcast. But for Little Gold Men and Still Watching, at the end of May, those are going on hiatus for the summer. And uh, my Westworld podcast will have uh, be done, and I will still be doing the Lost Rewatch. But it'll really just be Truth vs. Hollywood and the Lost Rewatch, which is like the fewest podcasts I've had. <laughs> For years, for yeah. years, yeah. And so you know, if you want to hear me, you're gonna want to. Li- you're gonna have to subscribe to Truth versus Hollywood or watch Lost with me, because uh, I'm going on book leave from Vanity Fair for the summer. So uh, that's where you will find me. Very uh, exciting. Doing those things. Very so exciting. there you go. Uh, well, check out Joanna at those locations. You can also check out my work at uh, Culturally Relevant, which is a podcast I host featuring uh, interviews with filmmakers, writers, and directors, as well as just. My own monologues and perspectives on the world. You can check that out at culturallyrelevantshow.com or search any of your podcast platforms for Culturally Relevant. I also host a podcast called The Slash Filmcast, which is about movies. Uh, So check that out at slashfilmcast.com. We recently had Alan Yang on to review Demolition Man. Uh, Oh, cool. That was fun. And shortly afterwards, they announced that Demolition Man is getting a sequel. So I'm not going to say one thing caused the other, but... I am going to heavily imply it. Uh, so just want to put that out there. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but check that out at slashfilmcast.com and culturally relevant. That's where you can find my work between now and the next time you hear Joanna Robinson and I together. So all that said, we got to the final episode of Westworld this season, Joanna. Season three, episode eight. Uh, we got some emails that came in uh, that I thought were uh, pretty great. So... Let's see. Why don't we start 
with this comment from Kevin uh, from Sacramento, California. Uh, so on last week's episode of the podcast, we learned a little bit more about Caleb's history. Caleb from uh, the show Westworld is played by Aaron Paul. And uh, we saw a little bit about him, you know, robbing this dude or, or kidnapping this dude who told him about like how he's actually been memory wiped and used as part of Rehoboam's grand plan. And you and I asked the question, like, why uh, did why were they wearing masks that had all these eyes on them? What was up with that? Um, mm mm-hmm. Kevin from Sacramento, California, wrote in, quote, The eyes on the masks are very likely being used to foil facial recognition cameras. They are about to commit a crime and are trying to conceal their identities. Uh, And he sends this article from The New Yorker uh, where essentially you can fool facial recognition cameras depending on what kind of clothing you're wearing. Right. Have you seen this before? Basically, like if you're wearing clothing with specific patterns, you can Ah. stop uh, cameras from kind of recognizing you. I don't know why – I don't know that that exactly applies because he's wearing a mask over his face anyway. But it, it is uh, – it, it did strike me that, hey, there might be something there about like fooling these kinds of cameras. Yeah, we got um, a lot of feedback to that end. So I feel like that is at least what they were going for. I also – isn't it true that – I hadn't heard about the clothing thing, but isn't it true that people can like paint their faces in patterns that – can fool. I think that's right. That sounds plausible to me. Well, we'll yeah. link to the article in the show notes, yeah. and you can check it out for yourself. Uh, that's but cool. Yeah. So just in the future, there might be ways that people have of subverting the surveillance, and one of them is wearing interesting shirts. Another one is carry around a device with you that can apparently shut off all the surveillance around you. <laughs> that is apparently pretty easy to get, as we found out in the first episode of the season. Um. So, yeah. yeah, I really liked how you said wear interesting shirts. It makes it sound so subjective. Like <laughs> I'm on the street and I'm like, hey, I thought this shirt was interesting. Why isn't it? Why isn't it killing the cameras? Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, let's see. Uh, so here is an email that comes in from Andrew from Phoenix, Arizona. We got a lot of emails to decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Uh, Andrew writes in. Uh, I had a long commute each day, and the two of you really helped the time fly by. I wanted to point out an interesting trend with some of the shows you've covered, and I would love to hear your thoughts. With Westworld, you both seem very high on the show, the first season. However, season two and three, uh, change in, the change in the show's initial appeal from sit-in-rooms-and-talk-drama to Terminator-action-adventure. Mm-hmm. Your enjoyment of the show has declined. When looking back at Game of Thrones, this same thing happened when the show changed from political intrigue to action-adventure. Knowing your taste in uh, movies... And with other properties, neither of you are against a good action-adventure story, which makes me curious about why these shows are different. Is it because the show is not done well, or is it because uh, you liked what the show was going, uh, what the show was before, and you miss it now? Last question: Has there ever been a show that did change genres throughout its run that you enjoyed the whole ride? The only one I can think of is Breaking Bad. That's one I thought of as, as well. Anyway, mm. uh, keep up the great work. I'm always looking forward to what either of you will do next, and can't wait until June for the new podcast. Thanks, Andrew. That comes from yeah. Andrew. From uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So, Joanna, what do you make of uh, this comment about changing jobs? <sighs> He's totally right. I was thinking about that actually earlier today when I was thinking about the, um, you know, I watch all the after episode interviews that they do on HBO. Behind the episode. Behind the episode. And I think it's also called like Making Westworld or something like that. And yeah. um <laughs> What is true for both Game of Thrones and Westworld is that they started to change from here are our writing choices and here are why they work to here's how we pulled off this crazy stunt. And you know, like- you know Joanna, of all the things I'm going to miss from this podcast, your impressions, 
He's really high up on the list. <laughs> and like, it's interesting from a filmmaking point of view. Of course it is. I am interested in how they filmed like this, the riot scenes in this episode or something like that. That is interesting to me. But I was like, but when that becomes the balance of what you have to talk about, then it's an indication that it's a show that I'm not as interested in. So I was, I, you know, this emailer has captured exactly something that I was, and I was like, ah, oh, yes. And this happened with Game of Thrones too. So like, you know, where they're like, this is how we made our dragon so big. Um, so, um, and yes, it's true. I mean, like, I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible movies or, you know, um, a Fast and Furious film or whatever. But I think there's a couple differences there. Um, one is TV versus film. So, you know, if I sit down and I watch Tom Cruise try to kill himself by jumping off, like, increasingly <laughs> higher, like, taller objects. Yeah. Um, you know, over the course of two hours or, or like fallout was closer to three, maybe um, that's one thing, but watching a story unfold over a season or multiple seasons where you're sort of really invested in character. I need those two people in room talking stuff to get me through. And even breaking bad as it changed genre still had that for sure as part of what it did. Um, so I think that that like deeper character investment that TV is supposed to allow you um, is something that I absolutely require to balance out sort of the action adventure. Um, I think I said there was a second thing, but I don't remember what it was. So that's, <laughs> that's my take on that. Yeah. Are there any shows that, uh, that fall into this category? Breaking Bad is one of them, I think. But I, I think – I don't necessarily think about it like changing genres. No. I think of it like every episode you don't know what you're going to get. You know, um, mm. you, you don't know what's going to happen or even what kind of show it's going to be. Uh, so Breaking Bad, I'd actually put in that category. I'd also say Better Call Saul, definitely also in that category. Uh, and another one that comes to mind randomly, honestly, is uh, BoJack Horseman, the Netflix original series. Mm. Uh, that's a show, amazing show, <laughs> where yeah, every yeah, yeah. episode, I have no, literally no idea what the next episode is going to be. It's going to be told from the perspective of like the two ants that were on the floor in the last episode. You know, like you have <laughs> yeah. no idea what's going to happen. And I enjoy that kind of reinvention. Um, so it's not as though I don't like shows that are trying to like stretch themselves or do something different. Um, but I do think that uh, well-executed action is generally less interesting than well-executed drama. And certainly uh, it's less interesting when the action kind of hinges on the, the, the drama for emotional stakes and the drama doesn't particularly deliver on that front. Which yeah, is yeah. what I describe a lot of season three as being. Exactly. It needs that, it needs that emotional underpinning in order for me to be excited about the, you know, so for like the car chase in genre, let's say, which they were very excited about, you know, pulling it off. Like I, I didn't really care <laughs> if Caleb and Dolores made it through that car chase. Well, Dolores would be fine. Cause she's, you know, a, like synthetic and Caleb, I wasn't emotionally invested in. So like, mm -hmm. I didn't care. And that's, to me, that's a failure of, uh, storytelling so not not of action so all right uh we got this email from chris from fort worth uh he sent wrote into decoding westworld at gmail.com quote this, <laughs> the subject line is wow and the email oh. reads how fucking bonkers is it that what amounts to humanity's all-powerful god is just chilling in, in the lobby of some office building in la 
what happens when the school class comes to you you uh, to tour and someone spills their slushy on it? What happens if an earthquake toppled the building? Also, can we get a show that's just Ed Harris, Jimmy Simpson, and Peter Mullen sitting around in ther- group <laughs> therapy for an hour? My favorite episode of the show is last season's episode about William creating a new Jim Della Sr. Those three actors are great together. Love you guys. Best recappers in the business. Wish you guys still did Better Call Saul. Dave was spot on. Last week's episode may be one of the best episodes of any show ever. End quote. That comes in from Chris. Have you started watching Better Call Saul this season yet, Joanna? This is our this is our weekly check-in on yeah. has Joanna started Better Call Saul. Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Okay, so... <laughs> Well, well, okay. So, but I can't address this. Why is Rehoboam in the lobby? Uh, question. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure the answer. Was I was going to say you, you can address it. Wow, that's that's uh, impressive. Well, I, we, I think we talked about this before when um, we were talking about the the kings, right? Like uh, David and Solomon and Rehoboam and all that sort of stuff. And I said that uh, Jonathan Nolan had said that it was actually an allusion to a sci-fi novel that he had read that I'm trying to find the name of. Stand on Zanzibar, I believe. Stand, there it is. I was like, strands of Zanzibar? Anyway, stand on Zanzibar. <laughs> anyway, so in both in, in, in the interview that he gave Insider and in the post-episode, um, you know, interview that he gave after the finale, he mentioned that name and mentioned that basically the big AI in that book is basically in the lobby of like Rockefeller Plaza or something like that. So it was a, an homage to that. Does that make it make more sense? No, but uh, you know, it's at least an allusion to something, I suppose. And it looks cool, but it doesn't make any sense. No. I, I mean, I've always thought that the Rehoboam situation was more form over function, you know, like mm-hmm. that it, it's, it's this gigantic sphere that you put in this lobby and it's like, it makes it, it makes it pretty vulnerable to like, for instance, terrorist attack. You know, I, I mean, you probably wouldn't, put it there it doesn't it just doesn't make you at least have a backup at least have like a sneeze guard uh in front of it you know what i mean like it's just you could literally just take a a, like this listener says a slushy and throw it onto there and who knows what could happen confer onto roboam the same respect you would a sizzler salad bar right (laughs) Do Sizzlers still exist? I believe that was one of their uh, operating tenets was, was that. Make sure it's as le- at least as good as a Sizzler salad bar or buffet line. Um, yeah. on, on that note, though, I, I will point this out, though, which is that, yes, I, I agree it makes absolutely no sense for Rehoboam to be there. But I will, put this, I, I will point this out, which is I used to work for a company called Microsoft, which uh, developed a... Uh, top secret technology called Microsoft. Wait, what company? It's called Microsoft. I don't know <laughs> okay. if you've ever heard of them. I've never heard of it. Uh, but they uh, they worked on this project called HoloLens, uh, which is a holographic headset. You put this headset on and you can see holograms in the real world. Uh-huh. And it was super cool. And they had been researching it for many years. And I was one of the people that helped to, to uh, unveil it. And uh, it, it was eventually revealed publicly that the research for HoloLens had been done in a lab underneath the visitor center of Microsoft. Uh, and I, I thought that was interesting. This, this top secret thing that no one had known about for years, it was underneath one of the most frequently visited by outside people of the company, like one of the the, the buildings that was most frequently visited. Uh, and they had just, you know, they're like, whatever, we're just going to put it underneath this, uh, in, underneath this building. And uh, so there is some 
extremely vague and mild parallel uh, for companies kind of hiding in plain sight with some of their big projects. Uh, so it's not completely outlandish and unheard of, but despite, I'm not saying that how Rehoboam is designed and placed is reasonable. I'm just saying uh, it's not a hundred percent completely outlandish. There is some mild precedent for it. So, okay. Uh, here's a very interesting question that comes from Ian and Caitlin writing into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, so, uh, Ian and Caitlin write in, uh, longtime listener, uh, Ian writes, my, fr- my fiance and I watched the season three finale, uh, and enjoyed it for the most part. We've been trying to wrestle with how we're supposed to think of seasons one and two of Westworld in the context of the real world, which at least until this episode was controlled by Rehoboam. It's hard for me to imagine that the Robert Ford that we knew was guided or influenced by Rehoboam or Solomon or any of the earlier versions of Rehoboam. Did Rehoboam or the AI's algorithms predict that Robert Ford and Arnold Weber would build hosts and create Westworld? Did the algorithms predict what would happen to Jim and Logan Dallas or even Juliet Dallas? Without Rehoboam and Solomon and some form of AI created by Sorok, would there be a Westworld? This might be the kind of thing where, if you think about it too much, the whole concept of the show falls apart at the seams. But I'm not sure and would love to hear your take on it. Uh, so that email comes in from Ian and Caitlin. So the the implication, right, Joanna Robinson, is that, I, I, I don't know, I guess it's possible that like the timeline doesn't quite line up for what Ian and Caitlin to say to be correct. Because Reboam was developed sometime in Vincent Cassell's life. Right. I just looked up. Um, if you're a Westworld writer, uh, uh, fan or writer, whatever you are. Um, you mean a writer about Westworld or a writer uh, maybe, of the episodes? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> if you care about facts and time and Westworld, uh, an invaluable resource is Ken Renfro's uh, complete chronological timeline over on um, Insider.com. Yep. And so as you were talking, I was looking up the timeline to see. So f- Robert Ford and Arnold Weber um, began coding hosts 37 years ago, about 2021. And uh, the like thermonuclear event that like kicked off Ciroc and Jean- on Jean-Mi's like whole thing didn't happen until 2025. So like William was already married to Juliet um, and all this other stuff. Um, ha- like they st- already started experimenting with Jim Delos and stuff like that before Jean-Mi and Ciroc started mm. working with Liam Dempsey Sr. and stuff like that. So there are some things like Juliet committing suicide and stuff like that, which would have shown up on um, on, on the Robo and thing yeah. and like, Maybe she's considered an outlier. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what your definition of outlier is. So there is some overlap, but I don't think we could accurately say that there wouldn't be a Westworld without Rehoboam, mm. you know. They, given just, the they just barely made it work from a timeline perspective. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, this also raises another question, which is uh, – or, or a, a topic. I, I don't remember if we talked about this last week, John Robinson, so please forgive me if we did. I, I, I really feel bad about this, but – did we talk about how there were horses in like last week's episode or the episode before and like how like theoretically yes. the horses were extinct in in the world, right? So like I said I've been saying that that horses are extinct. Like it, yeah. and I I was saying that a lot around like the whole when Charlotte was talking about uh, elephants being extinct. Yeah. And someone when I said that 
I think someone tweeted at me and they're like, are you sure horses are extinct? And I was like, sure, I'm sure. Like, in, you know, in my head, I didn't respond to them because I wasn't sure. But in my head, I was yeah. like, sure, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, in season one, like, blah, blah. So I went back and watched the scene in season one where they basically like there's a kid that comes to the park. There's like a family and a kid and he meets Dolores and he's like really weird around the horse and he's acting like he's never seen a horse before. But what's also true is that, like, people who – some people who, like, grow up in cities never see horses. Uh, that being said, the police are mounted on horses in this episode, so I don't know what to tell you. But um, <laughs> there is definitely a kid in season one of Westworld who sees a horse in the world. Or maybe he's just like, whoa, this horse is a robot. That's super cool or whatever. There's definitely something going on with animals, you know, like um, – the whole like Bernard's like genetic meat factory and all that sort of stuff. So like yeah. there's definitely something going on, but I, I, I want to retract my confident horses are extinct in the real world, especially like, even if that was true at one point, it's definitely something that the writers have decided is not true clearly uh, towards the end of the season. So I retract that myself. Uh, all right. Uh, well, so, uh, I, I mean, it's also possible that they had originally intended for horses not to be in the real world, but then they retconned it, you know? Uh, I think they retconned possible. a few things. Yeah. In, yeah. Okay. I think that's all the emails I want to cover for now. Thanks again for writing in. And I'll just say that in general, overall, uh, your emails are one of the best parts of doing this podcast. You know, oh, um, they're, yeah. they're super thoughtful and a lot of smart people and a lot of kind people. And uh, we really appreciate all the emails and engagement this season. So thanks for writing into us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. And of course, you know, you're welcome to interact with us in the meantime on Twitter. Uh, between now and next season, uh, I'm at Dave Chensky, Dave Chensky. Joanna is at Joe Wrote This on Twitter. Uh, so check us out there if you want to continue interacting with us after the podcast is over. But be cool and nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite song as well. Yeah. Just be cool and nice. Be nice. You don't even have to, you don't have to be like nice. Be civil. Be civil. There we go. That's all. Anyway. All right. Uh, so, uh, Joanna, uh, before we get to the episode, there's a couple other things you want to bring up, right? Yeah. Um, well, I just I thought it was interesting that um, I was either on the previously on or. I think it was on the previously on, you know, they did sort of like a series long previously on. Yeah. Um, can I, sh- can I, let me just pause there for a second and just shout those out. I actually really love the previously ons. For uh-huh. the show. Like, I yeah. feel like they're kind of art. Uh, they, they're not quite Mad Men level, but, but they, they like explain almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. they're like cut together in a really interesting way. And it, it, it's basically the creative brief is, Explain what happened in the first seven episodes of Westworld <laughs> without using any dialogue. It's pretty, I mean, there's a little bit of dialogue, I think, but like they use almost no dialogue, and it's, it's it's obviously extremely difficult to convey the ideas. So, but what's great about them is they they convey like a mood. You know, it's like gives you mm-hmm. a mood. You're like this guy is bad, and this person is good. You know, like, and that's all you kind of need to know sometimes. But I, I love the previously ons. So shout! I don't know if the person who worked on the previously on is listening to this podcast, but if you are, you're doing a great job. Okay, go ahead, Jenna. Good job, buddy. Um, so um, in either the previously on or some voiceover at the beginning of the episode, we hear Ford say like, 
you know, I wonder, you know, uh, if you were to wake up or whatever, would you be the hero or the villain? That was like a, a question in season one, uh, kind of directed at Dolores. And it's something that we've been talking about over the course of um, the last two seasons, at least. Like, is Dolores the hero, uh, you know, after all the trauma she's been through? Um, no matter how many humans she's killing, is she actually a hero? Is she a villain? Does it matter? Is it somewhere in between? Um and the answer at the end of this season appears to be something closer to hero and the villain. Certainly like, you know, you and I disagreed with the over an interpretation of something Dolores was saying to Caleb last week about leading people and stuff like that. And um, you were right, more right than I was. <laughs> I still think it was weirdly disingenuous for her to say like my kind are almost gone, but like eh, technically true, I suppose. But like what's with the goop and the body printing machines? I don't, I, I still can't reconcile that. That being said, she was not uh, playing games with Caleb's heart. She was, uh, she mm. was really trying to lead him towards something. Yeah. Listen, I will drop a boy band reference if I want to um, in <laughs> podcast on mm. Westworld. Anyway, um, so so Dolores, hero or villain, like certainly more heroic than villainous in this instance. That being said, it's fundamentally frustrating to me. And we're going to talk about our, our loves and our, frust- our joys and our frustrations with this episode. But it's fundamentally frustrating to me on a season long level that in order to once again, and I've accused Westworld of doing this before with other things in order to preserve the surprise of Dolores's like intentions. Yeah. They had her not communicate with, uh, you know, Caleb is one thing if, if she felt like she needed to lead the human to like make his own choice or something like that. But like, why isn't she communicating with Maeve or Bernard? Like, not telling them what to do, but just communicating with them. Um, and the only answer I can come up with is she wasn't doing it so that we, the audience wouldn't know. And that put Bernard and Maeve in a really frustrating position all season. Um, and I felt like there's stuff, there's good stuff from Maeve and good stuff from Bernard in this episode. Like finally, (laughs) cause they're finally allowed to know what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Bernard just stumbling around in the dark and making presumptions and Maeve being under Ciroc's thumb for no reason. Cause she can break his doohickey at any moment, apparently. And like believing him and his interpretations of Dolores rather than making her own inferences. That to me, isn't Maeve at all. So, uh, you know, what that show does with Maeve this season is pretty rough. Um, yeah. pretty, pretty disappointing. I think. Um, so agreed, agreed on, on your thoughts there. So, so that's that. And then the other thing I want to talk about before we get into the whole episode is, so there's this poster, the season three poster that, you know, some people had already looked closely at earlier. You know, they love to hide stuff on the poster or hide stuff in plain sight on the poster. So early on, um, you know, some folks had observed the posters up on the live broadcast we're doing right now, but it's also like if you just Google Westworld season three poster and you have a, a, a mechanical figure sort of crumpled in defeat, looks like it's dying um, on a sandy, um, you know, surface with a skyline in the background. And then the tagline is free will is not free. And if you look really closely on the metallic structure, you can see some scraps of like a blue dress. So like, it's clear that that's Dolores. And in the, you know, in the trailer for the season, we saw her like 
the shot of her like putting her skin on the metallic body that was in the trailer for the season. So like this idea that this is Dolores we're looking at, um, that's not something they were really trying to hide from us. Does it look like the figure is dying? Yes. And defeated. Yes. And like, you know, so some people were like, is Dolores going to die this season? And guess what? She did. So that's cool. Uh, not cool, but just, you know, that that's just on the poster. Yeah. And then um, the skyline in the background is uh, Dubai. You can see the Burj Khalifa. And that's where William winds up at the end of the season uh, in Dubai. And um, and then the sand everywhere, I kind of took that as, I mean, it could be Dubai or it could be um, like this, the dust that's all over Bernard. I don't know. I kind of took it as like three big, not spoilers, but just sort of like elements of the very end of the season. Mm. And that free will is not free. Like, you know, because drink every time they say free will in this episode, like all on the poster for a season three. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, great, great call outs. Somebody also tweeted me. I'm sorry, I forget who this was, but somebody tweeted me a uh, side by side of this poster and uh, a, a, an image of Jesus Christ on the Via Dolorosa, which is him carrying the cross. And they, they have the same pose, even though the robot in the poster doesn't have a cross on them. But uh, it's just a, a thing, you know, the Burj Khalifa is kind of coming out of her back. Uh, there, there is, there are Christ analogies to be made, even if the poster is not super explicit about it. Of like, this is somebody who's sacrificing their life, uh, quote unquote, uh, I, uh, for, yeah. for humanity's sake. Oh, let's do Westworld Bible study. I have three things to say about that. Number one is like more than that. I would say like the way in which the tubes of Rehoboam are like piercing Dolores's body, it feels very like stigmata to me. Mm-hmm. More so than than anything on the poster, um, the the idea of of Dolores um, being a Moses figure who will lead the people to the Promised Land, but does not get to go to the Promised Land herself, mm. uh, is something that I was thinking about watching this episode. Someone said that to me recently about another fictional character, and I can't remember who it is, so I apologize. But that it put that in my mind. Whoever was talking to me about that, this idea of a character who will lead you to the Promised Land, but does because. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Like that's the thing is like Moses leads yes. the people to the promised land and dies right before they get there. So like, you know, it's the same as like Frodo or Jon Snow. Like I saved the world, but not not for me. But I don't get to enjoy the world that I saved, sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> and then the last thing, if we're talking about Jesus imagery, I think you can't ignore the last shot of Bernard um, with like his head bowed and he's got this visor thing on, but it looks like, you know, crown of crown of thorns, if you want to call it that a crown sort of thing. And like covered in dust, like that to me Mm. was a very Jesus, um, image, uh, at the end of the episode there. So, all right. Nice, nicely done, Joanna, drawing the parallels left and right here. Uh, (laughs) very cool. Well, I think we should dive into the episode now, the, uh, episode season three, episode eight crisis theory, uh, we are broadcasting this this podcast episode live, so we might put some comments from the chat into the into the uh, window and also talk about them. Also, when I tweeted this out, I mistakenly referred to the episode as Chaos Theory, so it's already off to a great start, Joanna. <laughs> um, but uh, do, do you want to share overall thoughts, or do you feel like we've already done that, or shall we just dive into the the rundown or some of the components of it? I will. Here's what I will say: like you know, because I you know there are definitely people who have accused us of being too harsh on this season. Um, (laughs) 
And we're going to get harsh the about hell, The hell you say, Joanna. <laughs> we're going to get harsh about some of the things that happened in this uh, finale. But I will say perversely, despite all my issues with this um, finale, it has put a lot of characters in places where weirdly i am interested to see a season four of westworld yeah yeah so you know i overall there's like this weird looking forward thing that i feel kind of positive about the other thing i want to say is something that i've really just kind of only figured out this week otherwise i would have raised it earlier um which is that um so, you know, we had talked about whether or not there would be more Westworld because the Nolans have this deal with um, overall deal with a company called Amazon. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and, uh, you know, to do some work for them there. So we're like, how can they do Westworld and have this Amazon deal? And then that has been coupled with some comments from other Westworld people who cover Westworld who I've talked to have said, like, the Nolans feel really, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan feel really, like, checked out this season it does it feels like it's missing like something core about them and the way they think and so as i as i mentioned i watch all these um post episode interviews and something that i noticed actually starting with the reveal of charlotte hale's family um is that a producer on the series um denise I think it's pronounced Tay. Her last name is T H E with an accent mark, right? Um, so she she was a producer on Person of Interest, which was you know an earlier show that we've talked about the parallels uh, that Jonathan Nolan did. She was promoted to executive producer this season on Westworld. Hearing the she talked about the Charlotte Hale thing as having a family as if it was like her idea. She was like, I thought because I was changed as a mother that it would make a lot of sense for this to happen to Charlotte Hale. And listening to her talk about the finale, she said similar things. She's like, I thought if Dolores is dying, like these sort of things should happen. Mm. This happens a lot on shows in, in ways that we don't always realize, but that people, executive producers, because the showrunners are doing other projects or something like that, wind up kind of like shadow show running something. And I kind of feel like this, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this in a way that's like vilifying her. I'm just saying, if you feel like the storytelling voice of this season feels demonstrably different from the first two seasons, it might be because more of the storytelling burden was placed on this person who did not have this role in the previous two seasons. That is some interesting forensic <laughs> behind the episode work there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but this episode is definitely a, a big departure from previous seasons in a lot of ways, uh, both in setting and in terms of uh, the themes are similar, but um, certainly kind of the way it's structured is, has been different as well. So uh, I'll just say overall, I, I think a, a friend of mine tweeted or not tweeted, uh, Slack messaged me and said, prepare to be completely whelmed by the season finale of Westworld season three. <laughs> And that's how I describe it. I describe it as quite whelming. You know, uh, I didn't think it was a catastrophe or anything like that. I didn't think it was amazing and great and really nailed everything. Ultimately, I think uh, this season started out with such a bang. It was such a refreshing and invigorating take on everything that had come before. And with a brilliant and breathtaking vision of the future... Uh, but then resorted to 
its old ways. Westworld's got a Westworld, right? It it just it couldn't escape from its own loop of needing to deceive the audience and try to stay one step ahead of the redditors this season, you know? And I think that is to its detriment, right? That what I feel we've seen this season is the show continue to be enamored of its own surprises and not able to get away from those surprises as its primary storytelling technique. And there's nothing wrong with surprises. There's nothing wrong with twists. It's just if that is the meal, you know, it is going to leave me feeling a little bit uh, hungry at the end, a little bit un- unsatisfied at the end. And that's ultimately what I think the bulk of the the, the series, this season has been is uh, we got to throw some interesting twists in there. Got to throw some twists in there and uh, obfuscate and conceal information that is relevant for you to understand exactly what's happening because the twist is more important than uh, conventionally satisfying storytelling. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as big of a fan of it. It's, it's not as entertaining to me as it was uh, in seasons one and two. Um, but I would say that overall, the season kind of hangs together a little bit better than season two. Uh, if I'm to rank them, it would be Westworld season one, then season three, then season two. I disagree because I just think the highs of season two, like um, a kind of my, yeah. the riddle of the Sphinx, um, Kiksuya are just like those three episodes are so much better uh, than anything. Those are in pretty three. good episodes. Those so are good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but I guess I, I do think this episode has been more consistent, though. Would you say that? This season's more consistent, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but consistent at being not as great as the highs of episode uh, season two. <laughs> Mediocre. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so okay, those are our overall thoughts on the episode. Now, rather than go scene by scene in this episode, I think our time is best spent talking about some of the big mysteries of this, or the big surprises of this mm. episode, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go through them in sequence. And then at the end, if we miss anything, we can go back and, and cover. But uh, big surprise number one, a, a mysterious SFPD uh, <laughs> person shows up to help out Bernard Arnold uh, in his fight to stay alive against William. And he shows up and he, he uh, we find out it's Lawrence. I think you predicted this on last week's episode, right? Yeah. You accurately predicted Lawrence. Played by beloved character actor Clifton Collins Jr., uh, shows up, which raises a bunch of questions like, what was he doing this whole time? But, you know, let's put that aside. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I've been a. Who knows what the storytelling and logistical demands were this season? It's been a, 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 a. It's nice to see all these amazing actors reprise their roles. A little bit of a bummer that they basically amount to. Cameos. Yeah. I was going to say glorified cameos, but it's not even glorified. It's like just cameos. You know, we see them for a few minutes each. Um, but yeah, he presents a uh, suitcase to Bernard Arnold and says like, hey, this is a, this is a thing you're going to want. Uh, and you have to go see her. And he gives her uh, he gives Bernard Arnold an address, which you have actually transcribed. It is in uh, on Ravens Road in Los, Ad- Los Altos Hills, California. I have no idea where this is. Is this near where you are? Yeah. So okay. Well, a couple things. Um, first of all, that suitcase is the suitcase we saw Musashi hand off to someone and be like, "Get it to yes. him." So him being Lawrence Dolores, if you want to call him that, right? So, so the idea uh, is that Dolores is in Lawrence's body. Is that the right. idea? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's the last Dolores Pearl. 
is the idea. And I think, you know, uh, the way Lauren says, isn't it nice to see an old friend, which is like Dolores's trademark greeting. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, so that was Dolores. Um, and so let's do a quick accounting, shall we, of the, uh, remain like, let's, let's, so Clementine and Hanrio, who are working for, in theory, working for Maeve, but also kind of just working for Charlotte, have the Musashi Dolores Pearl in a disembodied head. Uh, Charlotte has the Connell's Pearl that was like slightly burned, but like she's got it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who are the other? Oh, oh, the, her pearl, obviously. Char- Charlotte's got a Dolores pearl in her head, and then there's the Lawrence pearl out there in the world. So those are all like the Dolores that are out there. Like none of them are destroyed except for Dolores Prime. So um, there are some options out there. But yeah, I mean, like I love seeing Clementine. I love seeing Honorio. I love seeing uh, Lawrence. But I want to see more of them. And maybe that's greedy of me. But like. I almost would I would have taken like maybe a little less of Hector to get more of them. Uh, you know, so as much as I love Hector. Hector got so. two goodbyes in this season. So many goodbyes. So many goodbyes. Couldn't <laughs> yeah, we have yeah. used the goodbye for one of the other characters? But it doesn't, yeah. you know, I mean, whatever. Because they're all like Dolores Pearls in them, I guess, right? So it's like, it's not really them, Joanna. You know what I mean? It's not really them. True. Um, but I would have loved to have seen what Cliff and Collins Jr. like wanted to make of like being... <laughs> being Dolores. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's not true. I mean, like, Clementine and Hanario, it's complicated, but Clementine and Hanario are Clementine and Hanario. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'm sorry. And everyone else is Dolores. <laughs> um, super, I so, don't know why I didn't realize that. That's super clear <laughs> in the show. Um, um, but, also, question in the chat room. P. Buena 01 asks, where is the Berlin Dolores? So, well, that's Lawrence. Yeah, that's, so that was Lawrence that was in Berlin. That wasn't really explained to Sproul, I don't think. Right? No, not at all. Not at all. And why was he in Berlin? We don't know. But like the idea that Dolores wanted – because basically the, what was in the suitcase was the visor thing that Bernard Arnold puts on at the end. The thing, mm-hmm. Like the thing that when it joins together with the key that's locked away in his head gets you to the valley beyond. And so the idea that Dolores wanted that off-continent sort of floating around <laughs> – um, is it makes sense to me i guess yeah. to keep it to keep it secret keep it safe but um yeah that's that's the berlin pearl is lawrence is the uh, in theory the idea um the los altos hills thing okay so this i mean the los altos hill address is perfect los altos is a suburb in silicon valley uh where impossibly rich people live it's a perfect place for arnold's wife to mm. you know live out her retirement los altos hill perfect perfect address um what annoyed me about that actually is lawrence has it written on a notepad and he like flips it up and folds it and hands it to bernard faster than you than a human eye can read it i, I literally yeah went back and paused i was like why because it, it looked like they wanted you to see it exactly it was for the it's for the freeze framers is what i'm saying like it was a weird moment that was like we want you to read this but we're gonna need you to work for it (laughs) so so you're gonna have to freeze frame it i was like why did they do that why didn't they just give us a A either and it i mean as far as i know it doesn't matter maybe it does in some like arg they're doing or something like that i don't know but like but like why not either just give us a clear shot of it or don't show it to us because it doesn't really i mean it matters i guess because it gives us at least some indication where Bernard ends up rotting away for like 
a while because in theory the motel where he is is maybe near Los Altos, so maybe in Northern California or halfway between at least Northern California and LA or something like that. But it's still anyway. Sorry, that's that's the address ramble. Why don't we talk a little bit about that real quick? The uh, him visiting old Gina Torres, right? Mm-hmm. So he visits old Gina Torres, and the idea is that Gina Torres it was in real life Arnold's wife, right? right? Decades ago, right? And that Bern Arnold is like basically that person preserved in time. Right. Um, for decades, and that's why he still looks like a young man, relatively speaking, to her. I thought the prosthetics were really well done. I, I thought was re- she was very convincingly an old Gina Torres. I don't know how you felt about that. I was um, totally fine with the prosthetics, but as you know, I am a sharp-eyed observer of wigs, and I feel like they could have done better <laughs> in the wig department. But the prosthetics right. are great. Prosthetics are great. When he died, I remember thinking... It was like the sun had gone down. It was never going to rise again. I walked in the dark for so long. I can't let him go. I never understood why people said that. If you love someone, why would you ever let them go? what saved me the only part of charlie i had left was his memory and if i died the darkness would take that hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, tell tell me what you thought about the main thrust of this conversation. What were what are we supposed to take away from this? The fact that Dolores sent Bern Arnold to talk with her before he did his thing, whatever that was. <laughs> it was like show connect to your human side. Um, not that Bernard, you know, it's not like Bernard has ever been like really unsympathetic about the human plight. Yeah. But like, I think it has to do with this idea of like connecting to humanity and memory and like, you know, what it matters. There's this, um, I think it's a quote from season two of Westworld is like, you only, you live as long as the last person who remembers you. Right. Mm. Um, and that sort of felt like the thrust of, of Lauren, his wife. I mean, and this is interesting to me, this, this 
dropping Lauren in here because like Gina Torres was in one episode of season one of Westworld briefly on Skype. Right. Right. In, 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 a, in a scenario where, by the way, you didn't even know if that was a real person. Like you well, didn't know it wasn't, if that was ever. Later, yeah. Cause later you like Bernard is like realizes that that was actually Arnold. Uh, yeah. It was Ford talking to him. Right. So it's like, so, did, he, did, did Arnold even have a wife, you know, like, uh, or, right. or if he did have a wife, was that actually Gina Torres? Right. And, right. But so, you know, so they did like an okay job setting it up. Cause he walks in, you see the family photos and right. maybe had enough Charlie flashes that we like kind of can put it together or whatever, but it still like is a little presumptive of audiences remembering something that happened on the show that an episode that aired like four years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, that being said, I've been begging all season for Jeffrey Wright to have anything emotional to do because I think he's such a good performer. And uh, so I was like, I was, you know, I was in my like salty uh, state of mind watching this finale. And I was like, oh, well, you know what? They gave me my Jeffrey Wright emotional scene, which is what I've been begging for publicly. And so I'm just going to take it as a gift. And I thought he was tremendously good in that scene. I thought Gina Torres was tremendously good in that scene. And it was just the kind of thing that I wish I could have seen from Bernard all season. Because once again, I think Jeffrey Wright is a tremendous, tremendous actor and has been really uh, underused this year. He has spent most of this season kind of wandering around in a haze, not understanding what's happening. Right. Which is how he spent most of season two as well, to be honest. So, you know. Uh, yeah, and it is a it is a beautiful idea. This this thought of that when people die, you, you know, your memory of them is the thing of them that survives. Like it's a part of they're a part of you in some way, and uh, yeah. it, it's a compelling idea. Kind of comes a little bit out of nowhere in relation to the rest of the season. I guess there's like you're dealing with Caleb's memories a little bit as well, so it's not like well, completely thematically irrelevant. But well, also this idea of of a parenthood is so strong this season. Yeah. So like yeah, with Charlotte. Uh, yeah. yeah. With Charlotte. Char Loris. with like Dolores and her little Delori who are like her children, Maeve and her daughter, I suppose. I don't know. It feels kind of a little tenuous this season. Um, yeah. So I don't know how exactly what exactly Dolores felt like that would achieve. And I don't really understand like what Bernard knows and how he knows it. Because like later he's like, oh, I understand I was wrong about Dolores this whole time. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. You know, she's dead because you could sense she's no longer there. I don't know how you now know her plan when you were really not understanding her plan before, but okay. Let's assume you guys are linked somehow. She built you. Yeah. So- okay. Why, why not? Why not? That's got my sure. reaction. Why not? Yeah. Um, Plateau Podcast in the chat asks, is Bernard Arnold from now on? In the post-episode interviews, they subtitled Bernard's lines as Arnold. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting, yeah. I don't, I don't oh. know about that. Um, but... I mean, I'm still calling Charlore Charlotte just because it's easier right. for me. But like, so I feel very blasé about what you want to call Bernard. That whole like, remember yourself before he switches over to like his robot self and then open face bitch slaps William twice. Uh, so I want to make sure we uh, mention that, um, you know, that, that implies, we've talked about this before on, you know, this, this split personality, this Bernard and Arnold. Um, anyway, so. Remember who you are is Remember the, who the you thing. Are. 
very Lion King style. Okay, um, so uh, the only other thing we should mention, we'll get to the ending, like post credit scene later and stuff, but only other thing to mention is in the scuffle, uh, Stubbs uh, sustained a gunshot wound, uh, and so that'll become relevant later. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, that's kind of what Bernard has to do this episode. Uh, so, John Robinson, this week I watched the story of a delusional everyman reevaluating memories with a clearer perspective, motivated to escape his rut by tearing down the establishment, aided by an underground army he doesn't recognize, but acknowledge him as Sir. He survives a downtown shootout to destroy an oppressive database that had handcuffed society and ushers in a new age heralded by exploding high rises, calmly observing from a distance in the company of an alluringly mercurial woman. But enough about Fight Club, Joanna. <laughs> Let's get to that, Caleb's plot line. <laughs> that was an email we got, right? That was an email. It came yeah. from Kevin from Chicago slash Paris. Uh, and for those who don't know, that is a that is a type of thing I like to do a lot on some of my other podcasts. <laughs> where I'll say something like that and follow it up by saying, boom, goes the dynamite. Um, so Kevin wrote it in this, boom, goes dynamite. And I really appreciate that, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Uh, it was I, a great Dave Chen impression in that email. And uh, uh, let me just say, I would have written one myself if Kevin had not emailed that in. <laughs> but Kevin already did the work. For, he already did the legwork for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I don't need to. I don't need to do it. Nice. Um, okay, but before we get to this, I, I do want. I do need to come clean here. Uh, we got an email from Ian from Portland who wrote into decodingwestworld@gmail.com. He wrote this in five days ago. He says here, I've been thinking more about season three, and I'm so curious how they intend uh, on wrapping up the season in a thoughtful and definitive way. One thing I've been curious about, is Ciroc even real? Or is who we have seen in the current timeline slash show alive? All of this hologram projection trickery makes me think that maybe the Ciroc we see, even the up in the plane Ciroc, is a projection of Solomon or Rehoboam, furthering the work of writing the world. I can't remember earlier on the season if we saw an actual physical form of Ciroc, but maybe the projection is trying to convince those around uh, it that it's a person and should be on their side. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, anyway, end quote. Uh, this was a couple of emails that we got. One, one person also wrote in and pointed to this scene from last episode where like the hologram Ciroc says, I'm not the man I used to be, you know, like, I'm like, huh? So all of that basically caused me to tweet out the following last night. I don't know if you saw this very embarrassing tweet. Um, but I, I said, uh, last night, uh, I'm about to watch the Westworld season three finale. I know absolutely nothing about what's going to happen. Here are my spoilery predictions. Number one, Ciroc is not a real person. Number two, Caleb does not succeed in his quest. Number three, Dolores survives. Number four, here in our world, we are actually living in a simulation. And I got a lot of shit for that that tweet because everyone said I was completely wrong on all counts. And I don't agree, Joanna Robinson. I think I was right about one and a half of those things. <laughs> because I think even though Dolores, Evan Rachel Wood died... Uh, Dolores survives in other bodies, like Charlotte, for instance. Uh, yep. No, I would I, actually, I would actually give you more credit for Caleb fails in his quest because <laughs> Dolores actually is the one who does the job, and, and Caleb doesn't really do anything. Okay, that's true. And then also, Sirak <laughs> isn't a real person. It's true that he's a real person, but he wasn't himself, you see, because he was taking all these orders from other people. <laughs> So okay, Alice in Wonderland phrasing. Um, so in a way, I was right. Like in a way, you know, Darth Vader did kill Luke's father. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a way, 
when seen from a certain point of view. When um, seen from a certain perspective. Uh, <laughs> um, that was a very popular theory on Reddit that yeah. Ciroc was not real. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I think, you know, like kudos them for getting it somewhat right, but I don't, you know, but not entirely right. And I still think that like, yes, most of what we hear Ciroc says come, I mean, it helps me understand his whole, like how he can, you know, I was like, how does he fly around all these countries and like menace <laughs> dictators into doing his will and then jet off and do the next thing? And if it's like, okay, if someone's like just you know, reading your script for you, you could do that maybe. Um, but I gotta say, like, I feel like there's still some Ciroc in there because there's still connective tissue about his brother. I I mean, or maybe I'm just dumb because like, honestly, Ciroc was like, Ciroc's emotional like story about his brother was the thing that I cared about the most this season. Yeah. So if that wasn't real, then like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but um, I feel like there's still some Soraki there, even if he is taking most of his marching orders or, or, or most of his lines come fed directly from Rehoboam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll give you any kind of credit you want. Whatever. What, what do you want? What, <laughs> do you, what will make you feel good? Like, literally whatever's going to allow us to move <laughs> on to the next topic. Um, so did you ever buy into the Sorak is not real theory? Did you ever think that? that uh, no, I was like, you guys are dumb. So I apologize because <laughs> you guys are closer to the truth than I care to admit. Uh, but but fair enough. I mean, seen from a certain perspective, I nailed it. Seen from another perspective, <laughs> I got almost everything wrong. So, uh, you know, it's all about perspective. Okay. Uh, before we get back into the, the episode, also, what did you think of the Fight Club parallels? Like they're basically, it was really a riff on Fight Club. Did you not think that? Did you Did you have that feeling? No, of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was. It was. It felt almost the, overt. Like when, when they start calling him sir, that's sir, when it's like. Yeah. 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 Well, I. So like when no when they stand and the the skyscrapers are exploding, I was yeah. like, Fight Club much? Um, <laughs> and then when I rewatched the episode and I saw the sir stuff, I was like, oh, Fight Club uh, more much? Um, Is that an impression of you? <laughs> yeah. Nice. The impression. Um, nice. <laughs> Nailed it. Jared Leto, Fight Club. Thank you. Um, so, uh, <laughs> the it, it's so overt that I like it's more overt than any of the genre stuff was. Oh my genre. gosh, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm like, <laughs> that I'm like, what's happening here? And so I, I I loved the the dark side of the moon, the use of dark side of the moon. Um, there's like an orchestral version leading into, right. you know, yep. the, the proper thing. And it's, it sounds great. Some people are like, why didn't they just use the Pixies, the famous Pixie song that plays, um, it's called Where Is My Mind, right? Um, that plays at the end there. My theory as to why they didn't use the Pixies there is because, uh, David Lindelof just used it really, really well in season two of The Leftovers as, um, Carrie Coon and Justin Thoreau are watching these like nukes go off in Australia, right? And mm. then uh, the same year, I think, Mr. Robot <laughs> used it. Um, and Mr. Robot is, of course, also like a big Fight Club, uh, you know, sort of ripoff slash illusion. So I feel like the the Pixies, uh, that Pixie song is banned from Prestige TV for a little while because it was just used mm. like twice in a year really well. Well, also um, with Mr. Robot, it was a beautiful piano cover. It was a beautiful Ramin Javadi-esque cover. It was. It uh, really was. Uh, by uh, Maxence Siren or Maxence Siren, depending on how you pronounce it. 
whether you're an American or a French. <laughs> or um, Vincent Castell, yeah. Uh, but it would have been perfect to have a Ramin Javadi cover of Where's My Mind at the end there. And they didn't do it. So that yeah. was weird. Weird. So. Also, if you want to find another great cover of Where's My Mind, uh, I did a cover of Where's My Mind that's on Spotify. Did so you? It's on, yeah. It's, a, it's actually gotten some pretty good, uh, pretty good number of listens there. So check, check that out. Check that out if you want to hear Dave Chen's words by mine. They should have put that one in the show, is what I'm trying to say, Joanna. Um, no, I'm just joking. Uh, it's more of a cello thing. Okay, so, uh, yeah, the, the Fight Club stuff was, was super overt, overt. And we don't need to summarize everything about the um, Caleb plotline, except to say, yeah, he's kind of involved uh, in this whole uprising tangentially with these dudes that are sent there to protect him. Uh, Marshawn Lynch... Gets a chance to show off some of his football skills. <laughs> yeah. While wearing his shirt that says what his emotions are, which is kind of cool. You, you, you see that Marshawn knows how to catch and throw things. So that was a nice moment. And then he dies, which is kind of sad. Uh, and then Caleb rolls up to Insight. He gets a key card from a guy out front, um, which, you know, I don't know why Insight, which apparently has all the information in the universe wouldn't use biometrics uh, you know, or bio-authentication, like FaceTime or something like that, but whatever, whatever. We buy it. Kind of, I, you know what I thought to myself, John Robinson, when, when he got the key card, which is very similar to like Ex Machina, uh, when they get the key card and break in at the end of, of that movie. Uh, the, uh, I thought to myself, you know what? They probably could have written in a way to do bio-authentication into this, but uh, it would have just been a lot more trouble. Like, He's like, oh, you need a retinal scan or you need like a thumbprint. And then he needs to like cut this guy's arm off. <laughs> and he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do that, right? He wants to let the guy go. He Don't die the for them. Go. He doesn't he want to take his eyeball like a demolition man. <laughs> you know? So uh, so I actually had the thought, like, why don't they do bioauthentication? Oh, it's so that Caleb can kind of let this guy go. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Something that I think the show didn't do a very good job of explaining uh, is to the extent to which uh, Dolores has been pulling the strings on this uprising behind the scenes. And this is something that Jonathan Nolan explained in an interview uh, with Kim Renfro over an insider um, that, uh, you know how we've been seeing like the maze in graffiti like around this season? I don't yes. know if you noticed that. Yes. Like, um, so according to him, it's because Dolores has been like, so in this episode, we find that she's been using the, re she's, she's hired some guys with the Rico app, you know, like she's sending the payments, blah, blah, blah. Jonathan Nolan seemed to imply in this interview that like she hacked the Rico app. I mean, this would make sense if she was trying to like manipulate her meet cute with Caleb, that she hacked the Rico app way back when. And has been manipulating things through the Rico app since and has been like fomenting this uprising through the Rico app. Um, and she's the one who's like been putting the maze imagery out there in the world. I think that is wildly unclear from the episode itself, but mm -hmm. that is what the intention was uh, for the storytelling. Mm. So, wow. Did not get that at all, which is not the, <laughs> not the last time you're going to hear me say that on this podcast episode. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, Caleb, <laughs> the thing that was weird too is like he he has a fight with this guy who you refer to lovingly as Turtleneck Henchman in the in the uh, show notes, <laughs> and there's this big fight and he 
he that was so up- weird that was so weird to me too because turtleneck henchman is like in like three key scenes yes. in this episode and i'm like why wasn't this like palm clementov's character like why wasn't this a character a sorak henchman who we've like known all season like wouldn't it have been much cooler if it had been like palm who died like four episodes in or whatever or or turtleneck had been around the whole season right. why was this guy suddenly here and seemingly so weird important? so weird yeah. it, it feels like something that like happened on the cutting room floor like that it felt like a guy who was supposed to be a major character this season and then just it didn't happen for That's whatever so re- for whatever logistical or other storytelling reason it didn't happen um yeah so that was weird and then they break in and you see uh he, he you know uh gets to the under layer of rehoboam right uh-huh. uh and you see Dolores plugged into Reboam. She spends most of this episode writhing on the floor, unfortunately. You do see her kind of in flashback or in – not in flashback, but like in the uh, – whatever, the astral plane, <laughs> you know, when she's <laughs> talking with uh, with Maeve later on. Um, but what what they are trying to do is get the key to the sublime from her. Is that right? Correct. And the the reason they want that is because theoretically – it will also contain the key to like all the human data that she has. Is that right? I'm right about but that. Like or? the 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 bio the the immortality project. I think the Delos immortality project is something that Sorak says this episode that I don't think we've heard before. But it's like the Sector 16 Jim Delos right. data, the like mapping of the human brain stuff, is locked away in the same spot. Yes, as all these host souls in the valley beyond yeah so he's like if i get this key dolores is like i've hidden this key from you because a i don't think you deserve that genetic data info and b i'm saving all these ho- i'm hiding all these hosts from you right um, it's weird that they're the same key though that was just never super clear to you know like it's, it's a little confusing i think but mm, okay. uh you know like the, the, it's, it's these two entirely separate things that don't necessarily need to be connected robot heaven and also human well, they, data but they were in to a certain degree in season two. They're like in the for like right, when they're in the forge, the forge yeah. uh like and Logan is giving them the tour of the forge, you know, like digital Logan or whatever, he's like, and here's robot heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So. It's like a multi purpose afterlife situation, yeah. basically. It yeah. it has everything <laughs> a map of the human brain and a beautiful sun-soaked field yeah they just shove everything it's like the Martin. kitchen sink <laughs> kitchen sink kind of design style there anyway yeah so then Sorak's like fuck it i'm just gonna start erasing anything that doesn't have it so he's like erasing all of dolores's memories uh you see kind of flashbacks to the past um and uh so then you know caleb lands there and Sorak kind of interrogates Caleb and uh, like Caleb's like there's a lot of conversation about like what exactly you're doing Caleb and eventually he stomps out the thumb drive that had uh, <laughs> I guess the program that was going to destroy humanity on it right but he, he kind of he, Sorak shows him hey here's what would happen if we did what you said which is that human civilization would end in a hundred years uh, and that there would be multiple mass casualty events so the end of the episode is Caleb like unleashes this program. So do you think all those things are still going to happen? Or is the, is the point of the episode that they don't have to happen because we actually have a choice? What do you think? Well, he chose to shut the system down. So it's not that he unleashed the plan. It's just, he just like 
shut the system down. I thought those were the same thing. Okay, so I got confused maybe. Uh, well, I'm not sure if I'm being honest with <laughs> okay. you. So like Caleb has this thumb drive with this plan. Yeah. And Sorok's like, if you execute this plan, there's going to be mass casualties and then like uh, species death, right? And then Delore, like, and then his plan gets stomped on, right? Like it's the flash drive is the the yeah. goober, as they say, and into the spider verse. It's like, which Caleb was just like waving around in the middle of a riot, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it gets stomped. It doesn't matter because it gets stomped on, right? But Dolores has, okay, so the question is, here's my big question. Mm-hmm. So Dolores's last memory, the last memory he erases is Solomon's access to Rehoboam which allows her to lock Sorok out and make Caleb the new like voice control um, owner of Rehoboam, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is like, how did that get inside of her? Yeah, so I rewatched so I, this a couple times to try to figure yeah. out like what the hell was actually going on here. Yeah. And my interpretation or understanding is that basically somehow at the end of last episode, she had absorbed yeah. the Solomon plan into her body. I don't think absorbed the whole plan. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, but like a lot of people noticed that right before she um, went down from right. the EMP, there's like this eye contact between Solomon and she's blinking. And they pointed out that like when hosts receive data, they blink and stuff like that. I wildly wrong thought people were being cuckoo and i was just like no that's just evan rachel wood being like i'm about to robot die you know what i mean i was like that's called acting chumps uh the chumps (laughs) were right i was wrong and uh it seems like that's the best explanation (laughs) that she like blinked that information into herself right from solomon but like what <laughs> i mean that is just like it's never revisited in this episode how that got to her whatever right, like, but that's like her you you'd want like what would a west a westworld thing to do would be to flash back to that moment sure. and like yeah. explain like hey when she went down actually she was absorbing the data from solomon and then also like was caleb's thumb drive just optional then or was it like a like exactly a was there nothing like, on it you know like, i don't know like is her thing the backup is you know what i mean and like someone else is like maybe he caleb uploaded the plan to her at some point i'm like when he's building her i was like maybe but like since we never saw it i don't know so like i think the best explanation is the blinking explanation but it's still like what the heck because the thing she was touching when she was blinking was like the emp i thought right so like so i think she was just like visually blinking the data from him do you know? I guess. Any, Not, any... It wasn't like a tactile thing. It was like a because I think the I think the the Solomon orb like blinks as she's blinking. Anyway, yeah. it was a blink transfer. Yeah, Classic so, so, blink so, transfer. So somehow Solomon's plan got into Dolores, and then Dolores, when she was hooked up to Rehoboam, transferred the Solomon plan into Rehoboam, basically, right? Right. And so she's she was the plan that she was looking for was the plan. Um that she thought Jean-Michel was looking for is what she said to Solomon. That's the prompt, the final plan. And I think what it means is like either take control of the system or um, shut the system down completely. I'm not sure. But anyway, like it seems like Caleb had a choice. He could either become the new Ciroc and take control of the system or decide to truly embrace and, and Dolores wanted to leave that choice up to him she's she, like, and, and the big thing for Dolores, like when did she change her mind from like kill all men 
kill all men to like free will for everyone. And I think we can trace it. Between seasons one and uh, two and three, I should say. I mean, I guess, but I think maybe it actually happened during season two. Um, when she exerted too much will on Teddy and Teddy killed himself. Mm. I really still come back to that as like Mm. this foundational moment for Dolores Um, that she, you know, she, she inflicted her will on Teddy in a way where she was like, I'm saving you. I'm making you stronger. And he couldn't handle who she turned him into. And he killed himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so the there's this uh, there's season two finale voiceover that Dolores does goes like this. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to do an Emerson Wood impression, but this is how it goes. Uh, you told me once that you were afraid of who I might become, and then you left me to become what I may. I became a survivor. Perhaps you would have judged me for the path I took, but I'd rather live with your judgment than die with your sympathy. I alone must live with my choices and my regrets. The passage wasn't easy. Not all of us made it. Some of the worst survived. Some of the best were left behind, along with the best parts of who we were. Does that give us a clue of what our state of mind is going to this? I don't know. <laughs> but... uh Anyway, so I, I think I got off point, but uh, the point is, I don't quite have an answer for you about the plan. Uh, you, you, everyone is free to believe what they want to believe. I don't think the show did the work to make it uh, pollutedly clear what the plan was. Yeah. So. Yeah, and th- that said, I mean, I think there's going to be people people out there who feel like the show is very clear on it. I mean, you're welcome to write into decodingwestworld.gmail.com. At this point, we are not planning to do a follow-up episode to this, so we will uh, likely read the emails, but, like, you know, just know that we're not going to follow up this episode. Our opinion is that whatever the plan was, it wasn't super clearly conveyed. Uh, If you thought it was really clearly conveyed, that's great, Um, but that's kind of, I think, where we're, we're landing on this. So... During this time, uh, Maeve has some flashbacks into uh, what what's happening. Is like she because I mean the thing that's confusing about this too is like Maeve has basically like robot clairvoyance, right? She has like robot telepathy, so she can kind of interface with Dolores even without being plugged into her, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, can I just say two things really quickly? Yeah. Um, we just have some questions in the comments about something we were talking about. I just want to make it clear. I guess maybe I, maybe I misspoke or, or didn't make it clear. I understand that Dolores herself needed to be plugged into Rehoboam for her thing to work. Um, I think we were talking about Solomon and like the blink transfer happening with Solomon, but I do understand that like in order for her plan to work, she needed to submit to this. She sacrificed herself. She needed to be wiped. uh, And when they got to the last memory, they put her last memory sort of in the system and her last memory was the thing that unlocked it. Like essentially like a virus. Mm. If you want to, if you want to put it that way, Think like Jeff Goldblum at the end of independence day, basically. That's <laughs> kind of what... So I, I understood that. And I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear. I just wanted to cut that off of the pass uh, before we got emails about that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Maven Dolores, uh, you were saying, well, I love all this stuff where, 
like the, the the effect where like the robots are remembering past memories and like it's like flashing black at the screen and like there's that cool like bassy sound effect. I just think that's really well done. And it's done to comical effect in this episode when Maeve is kind of talking with Dolores and Dolores uh has the speech where she says uh like you you can still choose, right? And um talks about like presents a choice that Maeve should have had in my episode, in my opinion, like four episodes ago, right? Where like this whole season, she's been kind of under the control of this dude. And uh, that's just not a, not for no reason, not a super interesting place for Maeve to be. Um, Like, why didn't Masashi tell this? Or like, why, you know, like all the, all the like near misses with Maeve, why was this not communicated earlier? And earlier in the episode, Maeve is like, uh, she says something like, let me inside your mind so I can know. And Dolores is like, no. <laughs> and then later does. And I'm like, why not earlier when you guys were, you know, diving off bridges in downtown Los Angeles? Like, what? why didn't it happen then? And the reason is because they needed it to happen at the end of the episode for dramatic purposes. And I yeah. love that scene between the two of them. And I love that it happened in a blink of an eye, right? She touches her hand and you see just sort of a flash. And then later we see the whole scene play out, but it happened in a flash because that's how like robots experience time or whatever. Yeah. Um, style. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved that, but I love that scene, but there's no reason why Dolores wouldn't have let her in on that earlier. Why not? Uh, yeah. And, but my, my favorite part of the scene is when Maeve wakes up from the dream and she has, like plunge the katana through a guy's chest you know yeah. like it's like yeah. when you wake up and she's like where am i and she's in the middle <laughs> of like, stabbing right. a guy to death <laughs> killing someone. yeah so it's, it's pretty <laughs> hilarious so then she like then like Sorak says well you know too bad mave you're fucked and then he takes out the detonator and or you know whatever the hell it is and tries to he like sh- shuts her down but then Somehow the detonator explodes and then she comes back to life and your interpretation is that mave did that right yeah. I think, yeah. And I was like. With her mesh network mind. And so then yeah. the question is, why wasn't she always able to why do that? Why didn't she just do that originally? I guess she wanted yeah. to wait until the opportune moment. I mean, I blame Ciroc. <laughs> I blame Ciroc for bringing Maeve back to life after last episode because this is clear. Like, she didn't even get the job done last time. And clearly she's a threat to you, Ciroc. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, it, it is really cool the uh, the gunfire in the darkness yeah. and Maeve killing all those guys. That's a really cool moment. I did like yeah. that. I loved it too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I want to say you know like I uh, I do this other uh, Westworld podcast that I don't talk a lot about a lot because I feel like it's 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 bad form. Uh, but uh, still watching Westworld is something I've been doing all season with uh, my Vanity Fair coworker uh, Richard Lawson. We did an interview with Tessa Thompson earlier this year, and then we did one for with Tandy for the finale. And uh, so you can go listen to that on the Still Watching feed if you want. But I thought I would like hit some of hit us. her key quotes because, uh, and not all of these these quotes are in an article I wrote. So you can go read the article if you want. Not all the quotes made it into the episode because the interview had to be cut down. Some of it's going to be over on my other podcast, Little Gold Men, over the summer. It's like a whole thing. But anyway, these are some of the things that Tandy Newton said to me. Um, first of all, something that I thought was really interesting. She found out that Westworld was renewed for a season four one week before the world found out. So, uh, you know, if you want to look at the end of this episode before the post credits sequences, if you want to look at that as like a series finale and they wrapped up Dolores and like Caleb and Tandy are walking, Caleb and Maeve are walking out into this new world. 
Um, I could see that they wrote this, that it could be a season finale if it needed to be, because they didn't know that they were getting a season four. Yeah. So, uh, so she let me know that was true. Um, so she was talking about Maeve and like the difference between Maeve in season three and season one. She says, I loved her agency in season one. I love how uncompromising she was. It's been strangely frustrating, certainly for the character. Well, I guess for me too, in a way. But with all with a purpose. In a way, Maeve's agency starts again in the season three finale. I spent basically pretty much seasons two and three floundering, learning some katana skills and creating a path for the audience to better understand what the hosts have been dealing with. Um, This is so crazy how actors in Westworld have like come out against the show this season. Well, I want to say if you listen to the if you listen to the interview, she's very positive, like. She she and Tessa Thompson said similar things where they're like, I really trust the Nolans. I think they're brilliant storytellers. Like, I trust that they know where they're going with things. So they're not really – it's not the same as, like, that Ed Harris-Wilcher interview where I, d- I don't want to mischaracterize it. Like, I don't want to say, like, she was – she's like she, – she said to me, she's like, I really trust these guys. I think they're master storytellers. You know what I mean? So, like, she uh, – um. But she says some other things. She's like, um, um, she was talking about, I asked her about death on Westworld. Like, is there anything, is there such a thing as permanent death on Westworld? If like people have synthetic bodies and there's like digital versions of people and stuff like that. And she's like, she she and both, and Jonathan Nolan said this in an interview as well, that Dolores prime is gone. Dolores has had her memories wiped. That Dolores is gone. Are there other versions that are Dolores? Could Evan Rachel Wood like pop another pearl in her head and be back next season? Yes, but I, it's not going to be that Dolores that we've been with. Because like, if you think about like the Dolores that Tessa Thompson was playing, and she talks about how Tessa Thompson talked about the Dolores she was playing was like this baby Dolores, this like just new in the world Dolores. Mm-hmm. Um that's sort of what we're dealing with in these other pearls. So Dolores prime is gone. And I think that is like a real significant, you know, end of something for the yeah. show. Poten- potentially a reboot again with the Dolores right. character. Yeah. Um, so what else did, um, Oh, <laughs> Tammy didn't told me. So she's like, she's excited for more Westworld, but she's like, <laughs> she's a little worried. She's like, you know, robots don't age and I'm a human woman. <laughs> And she goes, I look at my little boy. He's six. He was six months old when we started shooting the show. Then I look at myself in the mirror and I see this exhausted woman. And I think, bloody hell, man, you got to get your shit together. Uh, so, you know, poor Tandy Newton is like applying a lot of like, not, she looks fabulous. So I'm not casting excursions, but she's worried about like, you know, keeping in Maeve shape or whatever. Um, and then I, she's, I, I mean, T- Tandy Newton is 47 years old. Yeah. Looks incredible, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, but the thing is, I'm not too worried about any of that because they're just going to write in something about how, like, now well, she's part of a robot that ages, you know, or something. Like, there's, <laughs> not, there's no problem. They, they're going to do the same thing they did for, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator, basically. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Um, stop wearing candy. Uh, enjoy your life. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. <laughs> um, Eat that pizza, you know? <laughs> exactly. The world is ending. She was talking about something. She was like, when Dolores said that thing about how, like, all the other hosts were copies of her, uh, Tandy said, no wonder Mae was just like, give me a share and get me the fuck out of here, man. Um, but she was talking about, like, how <laughs> she says, I feel like a, a good guide 
I feel like that would be a good guy for the next season. Make me give a shit about what she's doing. And so it's like, it does sound so salty, but really she is like, she's just sort of like, whatever. I love Westworld and I think it's cool. And she's like, she's just sort of like strap in for the ride. It's whatever. But I think she does miss as we do season one, Maeve reading the Reddit comments. Um, always a smart thing to do, but reading the Reddit comments, the, the Westworld fans have really turned on May this season. And I haven't felt that same way. I've, I've like turned on the writers for what they've done to Maeve, but I haven't turned on Maeve because like, I just don't feel like it's Tandy's fault or the character's fault. I feel like they just didn't know what to do with her, but they wanted Tandy Newton in their show. So they just like had her go around and use her katana. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know. They turned anyway. on her because, um, why, like, because she's trying to foil Dolores' plans, or no? They were just like, Maeve is so useless. What a useless character. See, and I'm yeah. just like, yeah, but you I mean, know, she, I'm not. She I'm, is a extremely ineffective. B uh, on, at the beck and call of this asshole, and C. Yeah. Um, I had a third thing, but I forget now. <laughs> but it was also unflattering. So, <laughs> I mean, it's true, but it's like I just don't think of Maeve as a useless character. I think of Maeve as an underutilized character, the same as Bernard. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, there's a different. I don't know. Maybe it's just like maybe I'm just holding on too much to season one. But that's the thing is like Bernard in that season, or or, or Arnold in that scene with Lauren. That was closer to season one Bernard than we've been in so long. Yep. And Maeve at the very end of this episode where she wakes up, kills everyone, and is like, this is the new world, darling, and you could be whoever the fuck you want. You know, that's a Maeve season one line. Yep, like, yep. you know? And so uh, I want to see that Maeve, and I want to see that Bernard. Um, and it's interesting to me. This other thing I want to say, um, this is something that Game of Thrones used to do at the end that really bothered me, <laughs> which is... Um, Repeating a line from an earlier season, just recycling an old, really clever line of dialogue that you had in an earlier season, isn't like isn't in and of itself connective tissue to earlier themes. Do you know what I mean? I felt like Game of Thrones used to do that at the end, where there and I know I would notice it because it was my job to like comb through the episode and be like, "This is a line you may have heard in this episode," and like random characters would say a line that someone else had said, and they would and the phrasing would be exactly the same, and it's not like they know that other character; they would just be like saying it, and it it felt like they were doing the writers were doing that on Game of Thrones to create a sense of familiarity of like you know this world, blah blah. And I felt that a bit with some of the lines in Westworld this season where it's like the, people will just say things, you know, like, um, for example, Liam Dempsey Jr.'s friend said a line that was very similar to a Maeve line from season one. And there's no reason why Liam Dempsey Jr.'s like shitty friend should say a Maeve line. That doesn't really make sense. Mm. But Maeve saying her own line, like, even if it was a line that Lee Sizemore wrote for her, like, I... I liked that. Yeah. Liked okay. That. I was like, where are you going with this? Are you going to say you liked it or not? And uh, that really worked for me. That yeah. really worked for me. Um, I'm so just saying it can be, it can be cheap. It can I didn't cut both ways. Cheap in this. Yeah. It can cut both ways. Yeah. So is there anything else we want to say about this? I mean, we're, we're really running very long on this episode, but I'm curious, like <laughs> anything else we want to say about the, the Dolores Maeve Caleb storyline? I mean, I do have to point out that at the end of the day, the guy who leads the revolution ends up being a mediocre white dude. You know, uh, we talked about, uh, the, the uh, Caleb storyline and whether this character worked for you. And I don't know, man, like 
It's not the worst in the world, you know. Like I guess his virtue is he can choose to not rape robots. Oh my you know? god, I'm so mad about it. All right, so like, <laughs> let's just talk about this for a second. Okay. I mean, don't you think that like Logan Delos has on his best day chosen not to rape a robot? You know what I mean? Like, why is the bar so low for Caleb Nichols to like trip over? Like, what? <laughs> I, so here's a, here's my I reaction watching that, that plot that uh, sequence is uh, the idea of using Westworld esque parks uh, for uh, military training is pretty brilliant like it's like oh yeah that makes complete sense like of course they would do that also this entire time you have been referring like, like when we've been recording the podcast you've said hey there is a park five purpose or setting as yet undisclosed yeah and we found out what it was and i was just like oh my gosh like uh, like I-, I thought it might be a plot line that they just like jettisoned and didn't come back to but uh you were right like they there was a real meaningful purpose to it and so really nicely done joanna by by like mentioning that a few times on the podcast um, but yeah, then... I thought. I mean, I actually thought they were just saving it for like a future season mm. if they wanted to. Um, P.S. Uh, Tandy referred to medieval world that we've been calling it as Dragon World. I don't know if she just made that up, but that's what I'm going to call it until I find out what it was officially called. But yeah, so all the parks are right. Are you ready? Westworld, Shogun, The Raj, uh, Dragon World, War World, and then Park Five, which used to be on the Dallas Destination website, used to be just like a blank tile that said like Park Five closed to visitors. Mm. Now it says Park Five defense contracts only. Mm. So you know that the five canonical things that people enjoy doing, basically. <laughs> Those are the five parks. <laughs> well, we have we have a war world, but why, why not another war world? Um, but real war world, I don't know. Anyway, um, so the big reveal is that yeah. like, why was Caleb chosen? Why was he the person to lead the revolution? It's because he didn't rape the robots, right? <sighs> and Dolores saw that. So yeah, so we get so I, I had mentioned this last week because it was like a thing that stuck out to me in the Caleb flashback. Uh, was this like Americana scene? I was like, what is this? Mm. You know what I mean? I I I just want to say I did mention this. Um, and we find out that, yeah, that this is, you know, there were some questions about this, so I want to clarify. This is Park 5. It is a location on the park, in the park. So this is not like they brought the hosts to the mainland and let them do training. Right. They brought the soldiers to the park. Yep. Um. We see Jonathan Tucker, like uh, Caleb shoots a face off of a robot. That's Jonathan Tucker, uh, who we saw earlier this season in, in Decoherence and uh, last season. And um, the Hanario host is there in in the park. And then like camera pan over to show us Dolores is also in the park. My biggest bone to pick with I like, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions you could ask about this. Like, what's the security of like just letting random soldiers into a park or whatever? Like, um, but my biggest question is actually Dolores being there because like. I have some issues with that timeline because, you know, so, so basically like Dolores, you know, original host in the park, um, doing her thing. And then Arnold, because she's like Arnold's favorite or whatever, he like programs her to go, you know, ham and kill all the other hosts and kill him. And so Ford, as he rebuilds the park, puts Dolores on this punishing loop, this rancher's daughter loop where she basically gets like raped and accosted every single day. Um, and that's her loop. And to me, even when he hated her and blamed her, and then eventually Ford comes around and decides to stop blaming her for Arnold's death. But like, even when he hated her, I feel like Dolores was like 
too special of an object to Ford for him to just plunk her into this military training mm. scenario. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but we saw her in the white, the white host dress, you know, like the welcome to Westworld sort of dress and stuff like that. So like, I guess she served a couple different functions. So like in theory, she could have been in this like training scenario. It just seemed weird to me. Like I didn't object to seeing Hannah Rio or, or Jonathan Tucker or whatever there, but Dolores being there stuck out to me as odd. I don't, Cause she's like an extra. She doesn't have like a major role to play in that. It, it seemingly doesn't have a major role to play in that that scenario or anything but she said that before that like for the first you know whatever years of my life i was an extra i was a bit player Mm. you know the rancher's daughter is kind of a bit player but like i don't know she just seemed too special to just be ported over like that so yeah fair enough fair enough uh so but but what like what is your like is that why you're mad you're mad about the other thing right the fact that Oh, yeah, I'm way more mad about that. I'm way more mad about the fact that it's like, and then on that day, you chose not to rape me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, but maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is like, here's, it, it doesn't have to be a large amount of beauty in humanity. It can even be just the smallest choice. One small choice. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I really loved Dolores' speech about like they knew enough about beauty to teach to us. Yeah. And I loved that speech. And how it and ties then, into like I choose to see the beauty in this world, like which is something that she said in the first season. I was angry at first, torn between two impulses. We can annihilate them, or we can tear down their world. In the hopes we can build a new one. One that's truly free. Then we can bring the others back. And then and then my co-host Richard Lawson over in the Still Watching Podcast compared it to like the plastic bag speech in American Beauty, and that's all he can like hear now. And so he ruined it for me. Don't let me ruin it for you. Hold on to it being good. I mean, I think um, he kind of just did ruin it for people, but you know. <laughs> You know, whatevs, whatevs. Yeah. Um, we should also point out, you know, we got a bunch of questions about the fact that, uh, I mean, this comes in from Chris B. from Portland, Oregon, who wrote in, um, I'm confused and would love some help. Did I miss the explanation of why Dolores seems to be made of a mostly black mechanical endoskeleton covered in sleeves of artificial skin when all other evidence of how hosts are made involves 3D printing of a white body that appears to be quite full of artificial muscle tissue and even blood? Um, I know we saw Dolores in a similar unfinished state in a previous season. But I didn't understand it then either. Thanks. Love you guys. Love the podcast. End quote. So my understanding of that, Joanna, is that the Dolores that was like the Dolores, uh, the build of Dolores kit, as it were, uh, was one of the old models of Dolores that she had, I guess. I don't know why. I have have a lot to say, but I'm going to start here. Okay. Do you feel like when Caleb opened that little coffin cooler? Yeah. And there were like Ziploc bags of Dolores skin in there, stuff like that. Do you think there were like IKEA like instructions, like how to build a yes, bookcase? Totally. And do you think there was like an Allen wrench in there for him to use to like assemble? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so here's my understanding. Because they're all like segregated into these little bags. It's like, wow, this is so considerate of the person who needs to like put this together, not knowing anything about how to do any of this. Um, here's my understanding. Dolores had a printer. At Arnold's house at the end of season two. And possibly, though it's never stated, possibly a limited amount of goop. 
I don't know. But the white goop and the printing and blah, blah, blah. But she didn't have the uh, – though I don't know why she couldn't have taken it apart and figured it out. But she she needed the host building instructions because she was making Charlotte get those from Delos, right? And Charlotte downloads them. And she needed more goop because that's what she was having Musashi do. So, like, for whatever the plans were, the goop, the goop generation and the, like, how to build a bear sort of uh, plan stuff – is stuff that she needed. So she only printed like a limited amount of hosts. It's like the five pearls. That's all she has bodies for. So my understanding is that this metallic body is like a backup, a fail safe of like, should my white goopy body die (laughs) via EMP, put my pearl in this backup body, this old model. Maybe it's like a museum piece at Delos Inc. or something like that. Mm -hmm. But basically, Charlotte was responsible for placing that thing. And the reason we know that is Charlotte's like, I built myself a back door into this metal skeleton because like, fuck you, mom. And uh, that's how she's able to like remotely control her and also like flicker as a hologram for only Dolores and stuff like that because she like tampered with the metal body. But basically, this is like Dolores' backup body is this older model and she's got that cool line. Like when Maeve goes to slice her arm off again, uh, you know, she hits metal and Dolores has that cool line where she says something like like, they built us strong before they built us weak like them. So I feel pretty comfortable with all of that. The only thing I don't feel then like I fully understand is, uh, and to me it, it it strikes me as very like uh, host Uber Alice of Dolores to be like, I want the body that's more robotic and less humanoid because I, I, I am, a, I know what I am, damn it. And I'm a host. I'm not a human sort of thing. Uh, what I don't understand is why she was bleeding in the end <laughs> because where's that blood? I don't know. I just saw her like snap her skin on like an opera glove over a metal skeleton. I didn't see her like hook up some blood bags maybe she did, but why would she? So, you know, anyway, yeah, so there is an explanation, but it doesn't exactly all quite hang together at the end. But, you know, whatever. Uh, okay. Anything else we want to say about the Caleb, Dolores, Maeve storyline before we get to the post credit scenes? I think that uh, the the theme of this season has basically been uh, what, what she says. Like, free will is possible. It's just fucking hard. That's what she says, right? And... This is kind of uh, a similar uh, thing, like it's very similar to Fight Club we've talked about. Uh, another example that I would bring up is The Matrix, right? Where at the end of the first Matrix, Neo frees everyone, frees their minds, and is like, now you can think on your own, you know? Like you're no longer under control of the machines. And, but what we've seen in those stories, and Fight, you know, Fight Club as well, is like, the, that's just the chapter one of the whole thing, you know? Like endless complications are going to result from that. And, uh, potentially is something we're going to explore in future seasons. I think you as a viewer will have to just decide like whether this show did a better job of exploring those ideas of free will, determinism, and human subjugation to machines or vice versa. Um, whether this show did a better job than like other great works of pop culture have done. Uh, I would say it did okay compared to the, like those other <laughs> things. Like It explored, in my opinion, very similar territory. And it did so in a way that was way more confusing and that kind of wasted a lot of goodwill that we had for a lot of the characters. Um, but 
that's kind of my overall thoughts on like that theme this season. Any any other thoughts on that, Joanna? No, that's right. No. Okay. Um, Caleb's attitude towards Dolores, I don't always understand. Uh, it feels that's the last thing I want to say. It just feels like weirdly shifty to me. Like he, and by shifty, I mean like shifting. Yeah. Like he, he chains her up, which was silly because she's a super strong robot. Whatever. He like chains her up. I don't understand like when he's when he's fine with her being a robot when he's not because he seemed to have some weird like I mean I, I get it I get it that it's one thing to like understand that she's a robot which I guess he did way back in genre or or whenever it is he remembered that he met her before or I don't know um, and then another thing to like have to build that robot um, you know what I mean that's that like because you remember in season one that like William knows that Dolores is a host. You know, theoretically, he knows she's a host. But there's this scene where Logan, like, cuts open her stomach and shows William, like, the pistons inside of her torso to be like, no, really deal with it. You know what I mean? Um, So maybe that's what that moment was for Caleb. Like, really deal with the fact that (laughs) you had to hack this marble out of the back of her head and then, like, build a new body to put it in. Um but I, yeah, I just, I, I didn't feel like a, a clean arc through the season of like when Caleb felt like, you know, aligned with her and when he didn't. Right. Sort of. Particularly because he hated robots at the beginning of the season. Uh, so, so confusing. So where did that subplot the go? Other, yeah. yeah. The other thing is Maeve says to Serac, she has awoken more of these outliers. And I don't a thousand percent know what that means, whether it means like agitated them through the Rico app or done to them what she did to Caleb, like made them remember, or does this have anything to do with the people who were on ice um, in Mexico? I don't know, but that's, that's a line. That was a weird line to me that stuck out as like, how, how deep does this go to how much Dolores has been interfering? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Done. All right, so we thought, hey, that's where the episode's going to end. Humanity needs to find its own way forward now without the influence of this thing that's telling them what to do all the time. But surprise, surprise, not one, but two post credit sequences. Oh, wait, actually, we didn't talk about what happened with Bernard and uh, Stubbs at the end, right? So, because right. uh, that's relevant to the post credits. So uh, Bernard holds up in a hotel. Stubbs is in a bathtub, icing up his wound from earlier. I think this whole sequence of events was just an excuse to get uh, Hemsworth into a situation where he could ice up his shoulder, right? Apparently, because he was injured, right? Um, and <laughs> so they're like, we need to write away for him to be in a bathtub full of ice. Maybe. And they did it. They did it. So, Once again, I ask you, why is Stubbs drinking? I don't know. <laughs> uh, to, to trigger the alcohol reaction programming in his brain. Um, okay. And so uh, at that point, uh, Bernard tunes into the Valley Beyond and you see him like looking at some light and then he kind of like passes out. And that's kind of the last we see of Bernard, right? Yeah. And you also find out, by the way, that she gave, you know, we talked about this earlier already, but she gave him the key to protect, you know, to protect the key. That's why he's been so important this episode I, or throughout the season. I will say that that was like a fairly, you know, decent reveal. It's like, that makes sense, you know, that she would give him the key and he is a person that would make sense to have it. So uh, I did appreciate that. I love in this episode, he's like, she put something in my head. I can feel it. I'm like, why are you just, why is this the first time we're hearing of this? Like, I know he's been like poking around, 
you know, he keeps hooking himself up to things and trying to like find it. Uh, and basically like it's two halves of a whole, right? Like he puts this visor thing on and it's like you, the imagery is like one half of a sphere and the other half of the sphere coming together. The key unlocks the Valley beyond, right? So he is able to access the Valley beyond. And then he's like looking at something in sort of like Hugh Jackman in the fountain, that gift from the fountain, right? Where Hugh Jackman's like staring up into the light. Um, you guys aren't fluent in fountain gifts. Fine. Um, <laughs> But, <laughs> I, mean, I, I am FYI, but okay. <laughs> but he's like, you know, staring up in wonder. And then he does like a system shutdown and Stubbs is like, uh, buddy. Um, but maybe is still is incapacitated and still in the bathtub. We don't know. Indeed. So, uh, at the post, first post credit scene we see is we see, uh, William storm the Delos corporation. Right, which you're saying was in the Burj Khalifa. I did not notice that, but not in the Burj. It's in Dubai. He he. So basically, like, there's this earlier scene, right, where he's meeting with his accountant. He's like, "Get me my money." His accountant's like, "I can't get your money," and he's like, "Get it anyway." So I guess he got them. But he's like, and then he's like, "Give me all the locations of all the Delos outposts or whatever." And so he goes to it's. It says Delos International on the building, um, and it's in Dubai. And, Any sense uh, of when this is happening? Because we literally have yeah. just been seeing that like the world is crumbling, but everything yeah. seems to be normal at this. Yeah, I do know. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking. Um, when I first watched this post credits, I thought it was like some sort of okay. Because yes, there's riots everywhere, but we see the riots are ending. Like there's a montage of of the riders getting arrested. Like uh, Lena Waithe's character Ash like gets arrested and stuff like that. So they're like subduing the riots in Los Angeles during the course of this episode. Mm. And maybe the rights never came to Dubai in the first place. Who knows? But, um, I, when I first watched this post-credit sequence, I thought it was like some, some few months at least, or years in the future or something like that. A small time jump in the future. Um, but then I noticed, uh, in that earlier, like, give me my money to his accountant scene that William had this weird, like blood pattern wound on his face. I was like, was he biting someone? I don't understand what this, it looked like he was a vampire and he had some like blood smeared on his face, but apparently it was his blood and his wound because he has that same exact wound on his face in the post credits. So that means like no time has passed because his, he still has the same wound on his face mm. uh, that he wow. did in that earlier scene. Yeah. Nice. So there's like no time jump. Okay. So it's like, I mean, I, like, I don't know, a week, maybe, I don't know, but like he's hopped on a plane, gone to Dubai figured out where charlotte was i don't know how um because he has a lot of money and uh and she's just in the basement of uh dallas dubai so that's where he is yeah i know who the fuck i am your executioner i have a role to play now i'm gonna save the world dolores wanted to save the world too aren't you her we started in the same place but i can see now see the error of the path she took. But you're right, William. You are going to save the world. For us. All right. Um, and there's, a, I would say there's three important things to take away from this post credit scene. One is, Charloris is alive, right? Uh, and not only that, she's repaired most of herself, but she has this kind of sleeve of scars that she's kept on herself to... Uh, remember her previous betrayals or how she was betrayed. Um, so that's point one is she's alive. 
working in Delos as someone someone who's important, I guess, um, and able to access their facilities. Charlotte Hale, I would say. Yeah, but like uh in an earlier episode wasn't charlotte hale like revealed to be a dolores robot well sorok did but how far did he like spread that i guess yeah i guess everyone in that room died right so um, no one no one knows uh because the thing is sorok is still alive so yeah okay anyway i did like sorok like begging rehoboam at the end like what am i supposed to do now it felt very yeah. yeah, it felt very religious to me. It felt very like oh. like people. Um, yeah, they killed his god. Uh, yeah, they killed or or you know demanding at God like you know you tell me what to do like mm-hmm. where are you where is God now like where is like mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm completely fucked like you need to help me God and there's nothing there to respond you know that's it's a yeah. very common trope uh, in the Bible actually so mm-hmm. um, including something that Jesus has said so anyway. Uh, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, so that's point one is um that Charlotte um is working and she has she's reconstructed her face and body uh but she's left a little trace of her arm to remind her of what ha- has happened in the past. Uh, point number two is they have recreated the Man in Black, which is actually what Ed Harris has always wanted this whole time. He's like, I want I signed up to play the Man in Black, and now he's finally uh, has a chance to play the Man in Black at the end of the season again, and probably for next season. Man in Black fights William, slits his throat, uh, and now, like, the only William that's alive is the Man in Black printed version. R.I.P. Human William. He and Dolores died within, like, a few days of each other. That's beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) I guess. In a really twisted way, yeah. Um, Yeah. And then then you find out that Charloris, or Charlotte, has been printing thousands of hosts for purposes that we are unclear of what, what it is. Right, mm-hmm. which presumably we'll find out next season. Well, I mean, you know, so Charlotte has this earlier, uh, the, you know, the the hologram version of Charlotte has this earlier conversation with Dolores, where she says like, where Dolores is like finally realizing how she needs to talk to Charlotte. She's like, uh, "You're, I'm sorry about happening to your family. Uh, you know, like <laughs> I can speak to you with your language." And and Charlotte is like, "Oh no, that's not me anymore. I don't give a shit about humans. They're a weakness." Uh, robots uber alles now. Thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, I believe she's printing. It, it's like a you know a find and replace sort of thing. I think she's just like it, robot time now. Bye humans. I think that's her plan. And the, I think the idea is that's the hail in her, the ruthless hail in her. Um, you know, maybe it's the Wyatt Dolores in her, but mm. but it wasn't the whole idea of Charlotte that like she felt. Charloris that she felt the hail in her trying to get out and like isn't this kind of something hail the hail that we knew not the like I'm sorry to my son hail but the hail we've actually spent time with in season one and season two isn't this something she would do yeah it seems like it to me so yeah we uh, by the way we didn't talk about this earlier right uh Dolores was uh, in a gunfight and there's this uh, kind of interesting moment where she said, you know, n- like pay the sniper th- triple the amount to kill the other two guys. And then, sh- uh, you know, he does that using the Rico app, I guess, or something along those lines. And then Charlotte shows up in holographic form and seems to shut down Dolores. Was that ever explained? Like how that happened? Oh yeah. I talked about that when we were talking about oh, yeah. um, okay. Okay. Dolores's metal body. 
Okay, okay, got yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and that Charlotte sort of built herself a back door into Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just I just never that was never explained in the show, was it? Was... Absolutely not explained. Okay. Okay. She, okay. I mean, she she says like, she's <laughs> like, you could control me. Don't you? Didn't like? Did you not think that I was gonna find a way to control you or something like that? Like she talks about it. It's just not like very clear. Yeah. I would okay. Say. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I didn't con- connect that. No worries. That, no worries. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, and so uh, I guess uh, she's gonna lead the robot uprising. Is the conclusion right? Yeah, and Ed Harris gets to play the man in black, which is what he wants to do anyway, according to that Vulture interview, so that's fun for him. Um, The the thing that I will say um, about that is let's let's be clear about what that man in black – who that man in black isn't, which is not the William we saw in the post-credit sequence at the end of season two. Yeah, I was going to say, like – What's going on? Because I've actually seen online people have said that is the William, that is, or that I, is the Man in Black. Yeah, I disagree. You know, uh, I'm wrong about Westworld, so sometimes, so like, you know, who knows? But here, I think that there are two distinct things going on here. There's, uh, as Ford put it, I think in season one, bootstrapping human consciousness, like putting human consciousness in a robot body, which is what they were trying to do with Jim Delos, right? Achieve yeah. fidelity. Human consciousness, robot body. Um, and that is uh, that is the William we meet at the end of season two is, is, you know, if we're to believe what we saw at the end of season two, is, you know, the, Emily, the Emily then is talking to him about fidelity. So that's William human consciousness in a robot body, Right. What I believe Charlotte has done over here in Dubai uh, is more like the Bernard thing, which is rebuild a William from her memories of the man in black. Mm-hmm. And I, my impression of the person she built, this, this figure that she built, um, is that, you know, if you think about that group therapy session of all the Williams and there was like Tuxedo William and Jimmy Simpson's there and, and little boy Williams there and stuff like that, she didn't rebuild any of those parts. She just took pure man in black and that's what she's made. Um, that mm. would be my impression based on the performance Ed Harris was giving there. And, it, and, and just sort of this idea, like the way in which Dolores built Bernard at the end of, of season two, uh, Charlotte has done this to William at the end of season three. That is my interpretation. Of, so that William, who is like a quasi human host hybrid sort of thing is different from the William at the end of season two. Is it is it possible that it's just some other pearl or some other person we don't know in that man in black body at the end? Oh sure, why not? Okay, sure. So we we don't we don't really know. Like it could be. But who did? Well, but what pearl does she have access to? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, wh- who's whose pearls are going to go in all those little bodies at the end? You know. Speaking of speaking of bodies and coffins, we never got an answer as to whether the EMP uh, killed all those people at the end of the last episode. I was very angry about that. We don't know. We don't no. know what happened to the speaking of, body, <laughs> speaking of bodies and coffins. Um, no, uh, the the reason why I think it is supposed to be William though is the way in which he's like repeating all of William what William is saying right. at the same time as yep. him and stuff like that. Yep. So yep. that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And then final scene, Bernard wakes up in the hotel room seemingly long time after 
the last time we saw him. There's dust all over him. It actually looks really amazing. Like the it looks col- great. The color grading is all different on the scene. And he wakes up, and presumably he has seen some shit in the Valley Beyond, and who knows what it is, and we're not going to find out until next season. Um, I was pretty irritated they didn't pan over to show whether or not Stubbs was still like decomposing in the bathtub or not. <laughs> They're leaving their options up, and this is what they do every season. They're like, do we want to have Luke Hem- This is this the third season in a row, because like season one... Um, <laughs> They left off and they're like, is he dead? We don't know. I'm pretty sure that's it, it left off with a question mark. Uh-huh. Right? Wasn't it like, is Elsie dead? And is maybe he showed up in the finale. Anyway, I feel like they're like, we're going to give ourselves the option to pay for Luke Hemsworth to come back or not. He's either goop in that bathtub or he got out somehow. Well, the, yeah, go ahead. Well, also, like, the fact that Bernard was able to just sit there for, uh, it looks like at least a period of, Many, many months, I would say, right? Oh, no, it, come on, that much dust? It's been decades. Really? You think Unless they it? left an, a window open and like a <laughs> dust storm blew through central so, California. Which so so, so the, the because you were talking earlier about how like maybe the destruction of society never spread to Dubai, but, and the, but they were putting it down, the riots at the end of the episode. So it's like... But, I don't know right. why maid service never opened the door to this motel right. room. Right. So I like don't I guess know. I guess I guess the riots really took hold in LA but not in Dubai uh, anyway. In Fresno or wherever <laughs> they are. In Fresno the apocalypse was devastating. Um, um in but, Fresno the apocalypse took out this motel at least. Yes, at least. That's a exactly baseline. <laughs> no one has been in this hotel room in decades. <laughs> Uh, so the only thing I'll bring up is that it really reminded me a lot of AI, the Steven Spielberg movie, mm, honestly, yeah. where, uh, at the end of that movie, spoilers for AI, uh, the Haley Joel Osment robot is reawoken after, uh, centuries, I think, or decades and, um, is re revived by advanced artificial intelligence. Um, and th- that was the thing I thought of is like, you know, like this guy's waking up decades or years or months later. Uh, and who knows what is on his mind. Um, but yeah, I have a few things to say. Yes, uh, please. Uh, unsurprisingly. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> if I had, to, if I had to guess, and once again, I could be wrong. I feel like the layer of dust that's on Bernard in that hotel room, motel room is meant to indicate that the same amount of time has passed in that motel room, or at least a similar amount of time as passed in the season two post credits with William and Emily. Because we saw the forge like covered in dust of the dust of decades. So I think that's the, I mean, why? I mean, whatever. I, I'm just going to go, I'm I'm going to come out and disagree with you here and say that okay. I I think that basically they retconned that scene. Like what, what they we discussed, might right? We, we basically, my, my position is that the end of season two, like the very finale, like the very final scene post credits uh, was supposed to take place centuries in the future or whatever, but they decided, hey, we're actually not going to do it that way. It's just literally William seeing things, which is something that you're explained in an earlier episode this season. And so it is completely, absolutely possible. Yeah, it is yeah. very possible. Um, I'm. I just feel like when I saw that layer of dust on Bernard, uh, I was like, oh, they're opening back up the like decades in the future thing. Um, but. 
who knows? Or maybe they're just leaving themselves options. Because the, the other thing I will say is, you know, so like Bernard sees something, shuts down, and then he wakes back up after weeks, months, decades, centuries, whatever you decide uh, that layer of dust indicates. And uh, and has another expression on his face, a uh, purpose or something, right? Um, when I when I interviewed Tessa Thompson earlier this season, I was asking her about the end of season two because if you remember the end of season two, Dolores has made Bernard, and she has put her pearl. Dolores, the Dolores Prime pearl, is in the Dolores body, right? And then. Tessa Thompson is also in that scene, but we didn't know who she was playing. She's just there, yeah. right? Yep. So, so it's Bernard, Dolores, and then someone being played by Tessa Thompson. We find out that season, this season, that that is also Dolores, yep. right? But I asked Tessa Thompson what she was told to play, yeah. and she said, absolute blank nothing. Yeah. Be as blank as possible, right? Yep. So I'm pretty sure that they were like... <laughs> They did not tell Jeffrey Wright what he was looking at. They were just sort of like, <laughs> we'll look figure inspired. it out later. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it in post. Look inspired. Now look determined. And we'll figure it out later why. You know what I mean? Like that would be that would be my guess. You know, that's that's what I think about that. So All right. Yeah. Well. Did we decode it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I find it increasingly difficult to decode Westworld, maybe because I'm becoming stupider, but also because I think the uh, the show is adhering less and less to its own internal logic. Mm. Uh, you decide which is true. Maybe it's a little of both. Um, but yeah. So I, I, still, I, I still like trying. I still love talking to you every week, Dave Chen. I still love hearing from people. Whether you're not enjoying the show or you are enjoying the show, I really appreciate you listening. But I will, like, my cockiness out of season one where I'm like, I can figure out this show. I'm like, I don't know. They could change their minds about anything. Yeah. Is 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 Stubbs goop in the bathtub? I don't know. <laughs> Who was Ciroc's other mole in the company? All season long, I was like, it's got to be Stubbs. But if it's not Stubbs, fine. But who is it? <laughs> Or are they just never going to tell me? I, I think that's one of the questions they're obviously going to answer at the beginning of season four, Joanna. <laughs> Who was the mole? Tell me, goddammit. Um, yeah, so what happened? So those, those are my questions. Who was the mole? What happened to the outliers who were in Mexico in coffins? What's going on with Stubbs? Uh, and then uh, who has the Musashi pearl? Uh, you know, is it. Are Clementine and Hanario winging their way back from Jakarta and bringing it to Maeve? Uh, does Charlotte have it? Where did Lawrence go? I mm. don't know. Fine, tune in next season in 2022. Uh, by bait in the chat room says, I thought it was implied it was William that was the 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 mole? Is that that doesn't make any sense? No, okay, William's anyway. not the mole. He's not the, okay. Uh so John Robinson, any closing thoughts on this season other than what you just said? Or is that going to wrap it up? Um, I'm going to clarify this question in the chat room. William sold data to Ciroc years ago. Um, he sold like a bit of genetic data mm, to yes. Ciroc, giving Ciroc a taste of what Delos might have in terms of mapping the human mind. Yeah. So which got Ciroc interested in the company in the first place. But the question of who smuggled Maeve out of the park to bring Maeve to Ciroc, uh, still a big question mark for me. So I don't know. 
here are some things I'm going to say about decoding Westworld and Westworld season three. Uh, Westworld th- season three had some great highs, but ultimately I found it to be a disappointment. Uh, loved the vision of the future, but Westworld still got a Westworld. They're still throwing in all these twists and not, as you point out, not really adhering to their internal logic. The point that they're making about humanity in this season is a pretty basic one, I think, about like humanity longs to be free and it's capable of some goodness along with a whole raft of tragedies. Uh, And I didn't find it to be super deep or well brought to life in a way that I thought was that interesting. Um, but I saw the the potential there and there's definitely many other shows like we've talked about devs that kind of bring that idea out in a way that is arguably more interesting. Um, I think that despite everything I just said (laughs) and everything we've said this episode, it is still uh, a unique form of uh, delight to record a podcast with John Robinson because, uh, she is one of the, I'm convinced she's one of the best people in the country at dissecting, analyzing, theorizing uh, on a work of pop culture. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to see those powers at work of you breaking down the screenshots and uh, figuring out what addresses are on shown on screen for like a split second before they're ripped off of by Clifton Collins Jr. and things of that nature. And it's also been great to hear from many of our fans. Some of our fans, by the way, are people who we actually admire their work, you know, like uh, they've made great things that we love, and uh, I have appreciated hearing from them as well, or knowing that they listen to the show. So, uh, despite the challenge, the, like my challenges with enjoying this season, which started out great and promised an awesome reboot of the ideas and tech- storytelling techniques, and ultimately resorted to the same tropes that Westworld had been uh, doing this entire or executing this entire time. Uh, I still got a lot out of doing the podcast with you. I'm so grateful for our listeners and for all the people who uh, contributed to the Kickstarter to make us do this podcast. Uh, y'all are the real MVP. And so anyway, had to say all those things before I wrapped up. Any other thoughts, I, Joanna? I completely agree. I really hope you guys tune into Truth versus Hollywood. We had a lot of fun doing that. I love... I love talking about anything with Dave Chen and I love the like community of followers or listeners that follow us from project to project. Like you're consistently incredibly thoughtful and uh, really great to hear from. So we really, really appreciate you. And I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to Dave Chen, who's like one of like the most thoughtful and like engaged people I could ever hope to talk to about anything. So Thank you, Dave, and thank you to all our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Joanna. It has been real. So we've already covered where you can find us, all of our podcasts. You know, uh, Joanna is on The Storm and Little Gold Men. I'm at Culturally Relevant and the Slash Filmcast. And you can, of course, listen to Truth versus Hollywood as well. Will there be another season of Decoding Westworld? Who's to say? Uh, but follow us on Twitter as well. I'm at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. Joanna's at Joe Wrote This. That's uh, at Joe Wrote This. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang, who's edited uh, every episode of the podcast this season. Thanks to her very much for her work. And it was powered by Simplecast. If you are looking for a great service to start or manage your own podcast, check out Simplecast.com. They are who is making this podcast possible this season. They've been a great partner to all the stuff I've been working on. And uh, yeah, I know there's many aspiring podcasters out there. Simplecast is awesome. They have awesome tools. Check them out at Simplecast.com. That is it. So until next time, John Robinson, keep it real. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you on the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.